2: This is a more than just podcast production.
3: Welcome to Spotcast, Season 5, Episode 3. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuhlein in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. I'm also joined by Herman Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Yeah, so we start off with some fact check. Um, Quantum Leap, which I w- we were trying to figure out in, uh, I guess it was the uh, pics or whatever uh, or watch list that um, trying to figure out when Quantum Leap was on. Uh, it apparently is on Monday nights on NBC in in our area, our viewing area. Jonathan, uh, in, in spite of the fact that it's at City I think right or City TV. Um, the City TV, I
4: think, has got the Canadian rates, Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I watched half of the first episode, and then I watched um the beginning of the second episode and my general review of this show is meh i don't think i'll go back and watch it again wait did you Um, did you miss the second half of the first episode that was important i i saw the the first episode where he uh he's stuck in the thing he doesn't remember who he is and she and the girl the girl is um i don't know playing the, the 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 name of the guy now who died um help me start gene stockwell's role and ziggy the key mm-hmm. is the name of the computer and at the end of it she uh finds i guess his cell phone and and sees that he's who he is and and something about some message he left her on some voicemail left, or FaceTime facetime message he left her or something like that but yeah i mean I, I just i'm just generally the feel of the show is like i mean i like the actor but i just you know just i don't think i'm gonna go back and watch that show how about you so I've seen the, the first two episodes and so far I think it does have some of the,
2: um, uh, weekly serial drama on like regular people, television issues. Like you can tell that they have a lot of those, but, um, I think they're tying in enough to the original series. It does continue, uh, you know, TNG style from the original series. And, um, I think I'm gonna give it a little bit more time because they're they're doing just enough. So it's not fully like, you know, standalone episodes as far as I remember Quantum Leap that was like largely you could watch them in any order and it was just about fine. This one seems to be very heavily serialized where I'm a little surprised you would skip the second half of the first episode and then jump into the first half of the second episode.
3: No no no, I I missed I missed the beginning of it. Oh, you like, missed the beginning of the Saturday first night. episode. Yeah, and then I saw half of it. Yeah. So the second half of it, actually, that's a little tough with the way that they're trying to set it up
2: where it is, um, you know, in a very sort of overly wrought kind of way for uh, like, you know, if you've ever seen CSI or uh, my, uh, one of my, uh, what do you call them? Uh, uh, Guilty Pleasures New Amsterdam, which is ending this season. So I'm maybe inclined to find something to find my love. <laughs> of, like, it's got to be dumb, but like the right amount of dumb to, to, to let me enjoy. And so far, Quantum Leap is like uh, a candidate there for me. I would not recommend it if you were like hardcore into the original show because it is, um, it's not really like an homage to the original show. And it's kind of more like some of these modern remakes or reboots or reimaginings, whatever you call them, like Walker, uh, Texas Ranger. Yeah. Like T- G
3: works for me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's not for
2: everybody. That's well, fine. I mean, it sells Huggies yeah, I and mean, Coca-Cola just fine, I'm sure
3: yeah i don't think i to be honest with you, i don't i'm not i wasn't a huge fan of the show to begin with i used to watch it when it was on kind of thing i'd be like channel flipping and and come across it but i can tell you what i think where they failed for me as as a you know potential new candidate as a a user is you know i knew nothing about it being on mind you i haven't really been watching much you know cable television these days but um like who has time and uh so i didn't i didn't even know like if i hadn't if you guys hadn't talked about it on the last week's show i wouldn't even know to look for it i just happened to stumble across it on saturday night and i thought oh it's gonna be on saturday night because if you remember my slack message was it was on right now when i was when i was messaging you guys and then when i went and then at the end of it it said you know on monday night i'm like again like who does that who premieres something on one night and then it's regular night is going to be a completely different night i get Maybe there was nothing. It was a slow Saturday or something, and NBC felt they they had an opportunity to introduce this show. But then, why roll it out like two days later on a different channel? I mean, you know, it seemed like a kind of a dumb move to me. To me, you know, it's kind of like what they how they ruined Firefly by by showing it out of order. I mean, if if you had missed the Saturday night show, then you and you jumped in on on the second episode, which is the one with the space shuttle. Like it would have been completely. Like, what? You know? I mean, I do remember the the gist of the show that, that Sam was kind of like, you know, stuck in these different bodies and, and you know, he would go from one to the other and, and madness and comedy would ensue. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I didn't watch, I don't, can't remember ever watching a single, I don't remember one episode where I watched from beginning to end of that show back when it was on originally. I know you guys both watched it, but... Yeah, I just, that's why my review is meh. I don't know if I, I don't know if I really would seek this out again. I think I did set the PVR up to record it, so who knows. But yeah, I just halfway through the, halfway through the the, the second episode, I, I wasn't even paying attention anymore. They had lost my interest, so there it goes. Mm-hmm.
2: Regular, regular people television, Tim, you, you kind of answered your own question yourself when you brought up Firefly, which is what I was going to bring up of like, in this era of uh, streaming services, we have forgotten what it was like. In the before times, long, long ago, that TV execs just decided random things and said, I think it's a good idea to premiere this thing on Sunday, but then it's regular night is on Thursdays. Unless Friday doesn't do that good, and then we got to put something in there, we'll move it around. Like, why did this show not do too well? It's like, well, (laughs) why do you think? Because nobody could find the stupid show. That's why your ratings are low.
3: Well, so, but, but see, this is the thing is that I got to, I got to counter that because what I've been finding lately, I don't know how it is that I, I missed, I missed the the beginning or the, the premiere of Kevin Keneff himself. And I missed the premiere of uh, World of World, War of the Worlds, which I'm now watching again. But the beauty of the way things are today is I can jump onto Crave or I can go to the, you know, the the channels app or I can go to Rogers, you know, PV, uh, P, uh, what do you call it, View on Demand or whatever. And I can catch up on those shows. I mi- I also missed the beginning of um, uh, Handmaid's Tale, right? So I just went back to, to Crave and I, I looked up the, the shows and sure enough, I was able to go. So I stopped watching what, whatever I've pvr I go back and watch, you know, one, two or three episodes that I missed. And then I start watching it on cable TV. I mean, that's the beauty of the way it is today that, you know, you like Jonathan was saying last week, you can always go to the app and check it out, right? And and I... Cause, like, I don't like to miss, you know, the way things are written these days. Like you said, they're heavily serialized. I don't like to miss the very beginning of a show. And yet, Quantum Leap was nowhere to be found. I mean, like, I couldn't find that first episode for nor money, right? So, um, yeah, like, they, I think they dropped the ball on this one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll see.
4: Yeah, I think you're speaking we'll to the biggest problem with network television and why, I mean, I, I can't even think of anything I watch on network television anymore. It, it, it's just burning itself out. The idea of appointment television yeah. that isn't like a sporting event seems nonsensical nowadays. I want to watch it when I want to watch it
3: yeah and and to be honest with you like if I could if I could cut the cable, I would, but you know i I've got a partner that just likes to put t v on and just still still does that sort of watches whatever's on kind of mode right so um in spite of the fact that we've trained her how to use YouTube and find all the shows that she wants to watch but. You know, because again, that's another 100, 120 bucks. It's burning a hole in my pocket, right? Because I'm not, you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll watch, you know, I'll catch up on all the Apple TV and the Amazon. In fact, like the, the Handmaid's Tale is on Amazon Prime as well, right? Like you can watch it on Kramer, you can watch it on on Prime. This season three, right? Or is it three or four or five? I forgot how many seasons we're in now. But um, you know, you can you can catch up on the other channels and or their other services now, and not. I mean, by the time. By the time we get subscribed to all these things, we're going to be paying as much as we paid for cable anyway, oh, right? Yeah, I mean, so
4: well, I think bundling will know, come eventually. Some of these things have got to start eating each other up, which, you know, hopefully that'll happen. I, I honestly, am, I'm impressed with some of the stuff that Apple TV Plus has done, but I kind of like the idea of Apple TV Plus just buying Netflix outright and starting from there, because then kills two birds with one stone.
3: Yeah, that's true. And, it, well, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, we also, like, just as a, as a sort of commentary on on these services we kind of you know everybody's surprised that disney puts adult shows on or disney puts you know not so you know not ready for not safe for work kind of stuff on right um and the same with apple i mean when apple came along we thought it was going to be all kind of goody two shoes kind of broadcasting right amazon and netflix have a lot of cruft i mean there's a lot of stuff in there that i will never watch and it just it's just not good enough quality especially prime when prime first came out the Documentaries they put on there they would just you know it's almost like the the VCR bin or the DVD bin at the at the rental place or the big at the Best Buy where you, you kind of pawed through you know for a dollar you could buy a DVD and they weren't even worth the dollar right yeah
4: <laughs> what's the what's the Dennis Miller joke if they wanted to if they really wanted to screw you over they give you two
3: <laughs> T- two of yeah, this exactly. crap if they wanted to screw you over they give you two yeah exactly I mean. And that's, that's kind of like, I've, I've flipped through, I've, you know, tried to look for gems on prime and, and they just aren't, they aren't there. I mean, like, you know, there's interesting subject matter or, and they've bought up a lot of old franchises, like, you know, the behind the music stuff and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, some, some of the stuff on there is just not even worth like putting on cable TV. Right. So yeah, it's tough, but I mean, but yeah, I mean, so you're right. I mean, if, I don't know if Apple would buy Amazon or Amazon Prime or Netflix? Like, is there, like, that's what I'm saying. With all that back catalog garbage that they've got, does Apple want to be associated with that stuff, right? You know, like you said, they, Amazon and, and or sorry, Apple and Disney have set a pretty high bar in terms mm-hmm. of the quality of shows that they put on, right? So, yeah. Mind you, I mean, th- this year's Emmy Awards, I mean, Ozark was up
4: for an, uh, an Emmy for best drama and stuff like that. Like, it's Netflix is not total garbage. It's just, yeah.
3: Yeah. No, i'm not saying um, no i mean the, the stuff that they have the a list stuff they have is great i mean i watch a lot of shows on prime i watch a lot of shows on netflix but i'm just saying like you know 99% of their catalog i won't even entertain to watch it's, you it's know, it's gooey and you get sticky all over your fingers and your your feet stick to the floor kind of thing <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and like, yeah you know, anyway like a like a bad movie but speaking of which <laughs> uh fletch which we talked about last week and i don't know what the, what's the catch fletch or what's the name the of confess the show fletch, fletch? confess Fletch starring John Hamm as Fletch is in home premiere. We were asking, mm-hmm. Jonathan was asking about, where do I find, where, how do I watch this? And I guess it's not going to the theaters at all. It's just going to direct direct to home premiere. So. Yeah, it's disappointing. Although Watching- I saw, I was happy to see uh, one of my former um,
4: newspaper colleagues posted the other day saying... Oh, you know, I want Hollywood to make more movies like this. So I spent the 25 bucks because I got to I got to vote with my dollars. And I was like, "Hey, we always say that. You got to vote with your dollars, right?" And, you know, it, it, I think that's how it comes down. If you if you like it, it got good reviews again. It, it's got like, you know, something in the 80s for Rotten Tomatoes, like it got a good review. It's just it's those tweener movies. Hollywood doesn't know what to do with tweener movies anymore. You know, they they just don't know how to market something that is small and not like a blockbuster flick anymore. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. And it is. Cause I mean, I was listening to a pod this week where they were talking about Boogie Nights and you know, Boogie Nights is, is part of that huge boom in the mid nineties where, you know, we got these incredible new auteur filmmakers, the, the Paul Thomas Andersons, the Kevin Smiths, the 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 Quentin Tarantino's, these people who had something new to say, and and you know, and, and it was this great renaissance. None of those guys would be able to get movies made the way that they were getting them made then. Now they'd be like, hey, that's a great idea. Turn it into a ten-episode HBO, you know, fan, uh, you know, uh, mini series or something like that. They wouldn't know what to do with half those stories. Do you think? Think about the movie Boogie Nights, and then think about that from the context yeah. of, if you pitch that right now, they would never give you $30 million to make that movie. It doesn't make sense. They'd be like, cool, we'll make it a 10-episode series, and we'll spread it out.
3: Yeah, true. I mean, the same thing. you could say the same thing about, you know, the, um, I've got the name of the director, the you know, the Breakfast Club guy. Um, oh, John Hughes, yeah. Yeah, they would never make his stuff, right? You know, and like you said, the early Qu- Quentin Tarantino stuff, they wouldn't have made, right? No. Mm-hmm.
4: No, I mean, and that's the thing. Right now, you, there's sort of this tween spot, right? It's it's you, you can make movies that are sort of below 10 million bucks or over 100 million bucks. I mean, think of what we talked about with the the Batgirl movie. You know, the 90 million bucks they spent on the Batgirl movie that they were happy to just take a loss on. It's because they said it wasn't big enough to be a big blockbuster movie, but it wasn't small enough to justify the expense of putting it onto a plat- uh, on a streaming platform. So again, it's either do it on the cheap, or go huge. Those are the only two options now. I just don't know how sustainable that is. And, and not to mention the fact that some of these things, you know, I think about, like, if they had done Boogie Nights as a television series, it probably would have been amazing. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson with 10 hours to tell you a story? Like, where do I sign? But at the same time, it's kind of degrading the the institution of filmmaking. Hmm. Anyway, I, I'm... Hoping that uh, I, I I love Fletch I love I love that book I've read the book I've read the whole series of Gregory McDonald's Fletch books I want to show my support too but I think it's like twenty five to rent and thirty to buy that's still pretty darn steep you know like I you know if I wanted to go see it in the movie theater it would cost me you know less than fifteen bucks to go and just sit and, and enjoy it on the big screen in the whole
3: nine yards that's 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 still a little steep it's a little steep. Yeah. I mean I, I don't get it. I mean like you you're right. I mean I'm like like well this home premiere thing that Disney started, you know, direct to video and all that kind of stuff, you know, they were always to me they were always really expensive propositions. You know, it's almost like it's like a month of Disney Plus or a month of month of you know Netflix and Disney Plus, right? Like which, where's the value, right? Yeah. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean but by the same token they they have to make their money back, I guess, right? I guess. I guess. But but again, are they doing are they doing this like an a b test kind of thing like you know they they couldn't maybe they couldn't get enough um theater slots to put it in like they couldn't afford the buy to, to put it in all the various theaters and and well because what was it uh kevin smith talked about um how much the weinstein company put behind his movies like you know he would they would give him you know I, i'm going to pull a number out of my hat here just five million dollars to make a movie but they would spend at least five million or more he was saying in that one one talk Poor marketing about, yeah they would spend that yeah you know, just on the marketing right, so maybe they couldn't justify the spend of marketing fletch in the theaters and and they couldn't see like you said they couldn't see an audience for it, so you know and they couldn't maybe maybe nobody from you know the Netflixes or the Amazons or whatever wanted to touch it um you know which we all know it's gonna land there anyway anyway right um yeah like it's like you said it it doesn't fit doesn't fit in the right slot right for these guys right. So, here's what I don't understand. So,
4: they thought enough of this movie to try and get 25 bucks a pop off of a rental or 30 bucks yeah. off of a purchase for it. It's a Miramax picture. This is Confessed Fletch. It's a Miramax picture, which means that's CBS, Viacom, Paramount. That, that's who owns uh, Miramax now. Mm-hmm. I don't understand if they've got a movie with John Hamm... And they think it's good. Why wouldn't they just put it on Paramount Plus and try and draw people to the platform? Again, more enticement to sign, to spend spend the money on a month. I realize obviously it's not as much money, but isn't the whole point to like, hey, we'll give you the first taste for free and then you're going to want the candy? like? I, I, I'm I'm just not sure I understand the marketing strategy behind deciding to do this as a a home premiere versus a a a, lo- a leader into Paramount Plus.
3: But that's what I mean. We don't know. We don't know that home premiere hasn't been successful for these companies, right? Like we don't know that you know, because I mean, are they reporting on you know, like like a movie comes out, like what have we got? A couple of movies, right? And I like can, I think the Maverick movie is currently available for rent. If you didn't go, if you didn't want to go see it in the theaters, you can you can for it now either i don't know if you can buy it outright or rent it um at this point in time like what is it that 45 day formula that harmy was talking about i think right mm-hmm. um where you know something something you wait 45 days before it becomes available in the binging services i guess
4: yeah here but, i'm just looking it up online and it says that confess fletch had a very limited theatrical run i again i looked for it and couldn't see it it's on premium video on demand, effective September 16th, and then it'll be followed by a premiere on Showtime on October 28th, 2022. But again, Showtime isn't even a channel here in Canada.
3: Yeah, but like, you know, the craw- Where the Crawdads Sing and, and, you know, the Top Gun Maverick movie, those those are ones that right now are top of my head that, that you know, are rentals, right? Yeah, but Where the Crawdads um, Sing came out in the movie theaters here. Yeah, what well, did it? Yep. Yeah, no, it, it so That's what I mean, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. So did the Maverick run, right? They yeah. came out in the theater, and now they're in this... this but I mean, what's the what's the idea behind putting it on home premiere? Is it because they're actually able to recoup some costs before they go into general? Netflix is going to give them 10 bucks for it to put it on their system or whatever, you know? Or showcase or whatever? According to the
4: ever-reliable source Wikipedia, there is a $20 million budget behind, and that's not including marketing that's cost budget for confess fletch and it's box office gross so far is just a little over half a million bucks so they'd have to do a lot of business to to get the money back on the home premiere on that front again i just i don't know how they determine whether something's profitable or not
3: uh well and again like like have you seen a single ad for this movie no, anywhere no right so how are people even supposed to know it's there yeah
4: and again, it's strange because again, it's got good reviews. You think if you get the good reviews, you're like, hey, we've clearly got something here. Let's maybe put some weight behind it and see if we can do that. Or let's shift our strategy and, and move it over to somewhere where it's gonna get more attention, or it's it's John Hamm who's got credentials. You know, it's got an Oscar winner in Marsha Gay Hardens in it. Uh it's directed by Greg Matola, who, you know, you probably don't know him by name, but Greg's directed a bunch of great you know, comedy movies. He did um, Super Bad. He did Paul. He did uh, Adventure Land, Day Trippers. Like, he's done some good movies and he, he did, he's done a ton of television. He did like um, Arrested Development and The Newsroom and stuff like that. Like, this is not a nobody doing a nobody. This is a good named Hollywood star and a good reputable director. Again, it just, it's the strategy kind of confounds me. Yeah. I don't know don't know what to tell you paramount at me at jpk news i'm ready to get in there and start working on your strategies
3: <laughs> you know what i find works better than that and just just put that thought into a tweet with at paramount at the beginning of it and you might get a reply but or you'll get oh we're sorry you feel that way jonathan
4: <laughs> sorry we're not hiring <laughs> right, right now. we won't hire canadians i'm afraid we'll get back to you in three months it's gonna be delayed a little bit yeah, in In the meantime, let's get into our headlines, and you're up first, John, there you go. Yeah, so we'll start with a little Star Trek news, um, just a little bit of sad news, unfortunately. Well, the uh, actress who played Kai Wynn on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the, just the saccharine villain with the sweet voice, uh, you know, the leader of the religious sect on Bajor. Uh, her name is Louise Fletcher, and uh, she passed away, unfortunately, last week at the age of 88. Um, she won an Oscar for her role in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which if you haven't seen, you should. It's an absolutely amazing movie, and she is just incredible in it. And, uh, you know, she's had a she had this sort of incredible acting ability to both play somebody who is incredibly sweet and incredibly hateable. She's that as as uh, Nurse Ratchet in, in that movie, and she's definitely that as Kai Wynn, this person who you're like, she's smiling while she's stabbing you. And, you know, she's just she's just an awful, awful person. And it's it's funny because, you know, I, I, when I saw it pass, I saw her face. I was like, and my instant reaction was like, I hate you. But that's a testament to how good (laughs) an actor she is, or was. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. You know, she was really, really talented at making these characters very 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 unlikable and you know and and justifiably complex too like these weren't one-dimensional things she was she was a very talented uh performer and uh was a big part of that uh you know a big part of that show she definitely had a lot of memorable moments and, and a lot of moments i'm sure jaime you can relate where you just wanted to throw something at the screen because she's so good
2: yeah i think one of the early Season episodes with Keiko, where Keiko is teaching about you know normal science stuff, and she busts in like, "You can't teach that the wormhole aliens or aliens. They're the they're the prophets. They're gods." And it's like, "Yeah, you do, you uh, religious lady. Like this is a this is a, a science class, so we're we're going to cover it from like a non-religious standpoint." And there's like a big you know brouhaha over this. It was definitely a perfect sort of introduction to. How that character was going to fit into the uh, technological world of DS9. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she
4: was a she was a great foil, and um, yeah, sad sad to see her go. But uh, she definitely leaves a, a pretty amazing legacy.
3: Yeah, you're right. I I I, I mean, I saw one of the cuckoo's nest when it came out, and and uh, you know, I remember the her Oscar win, and and even Jack Nicholson talking about you know working with her and all that kind of stuff. And you're right, I I hated that character. Um, you know, through, you know, if yeah, you get, I mean, definitely one for the cuckoo's nest is I think it's a must watch movie for just about anybody. But you'll find out what, what me what we're talking about in terms of how how good how much if she's like the villain. She's like the the you know being the merciless, the Darth Vader of that particular story. And even though she's just doing her job, really, at the end of the day, right? You know, and that and that was her strength, but, yeah. and that was her strength. Even playing Kai Win. she was somebody who was
4: just absolutely clear in her faith in that show she was clear in her job in one flew over to the cuckoo's nest and was a zealot and was very like i follow these rules these are my rules and i am not deviating from that and because she was so unflinching it made her just despicable
3: and again she was so good at bringing those characters to life yeah definitely it's it's, it's funny as you know the um uh hand me if you've seen that but there's a character uh yvonne on her last name but i can never remember her last name but she um she's been around for a long time but she plays a character very much like nurse ratchet where you know she's the the foil to the to the heroine of the story and yet you know like i think I, I heard alec baldwin talking about playing playing a nasty person in in a role is like when you're that person playing that role, you have to believe that what you're doing is—is is you believe you're right, you believe you're in in the in the good place, right? And, and yeah, Louise Fletcher was so good at playing those roles that that you know that she was unflinching in her in her resolve, and you know she she kind of looked down on the people who didn't see things the way she did, right? Or well, that's how it sort of came across, right? Like ama- amazing actress from that point of view, yeah. Probably the sweetest woman ever. Like who knows, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean that's it, and. <laughs> Again, it's one of those things where when you see her, you have this visceral reaction, especially those two roles of just "oh, I, I just hate you so much." But again, it's a testament to her talent; it absolutely is. Yeah, it's like the guy who
3: played um, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, oh, Peter Cushing. Yeah, Peter Cushing. Yeah, like if you only knew him as as Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars, you you know you'd, you'd hate the guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's funny because you know when when we talk about Rogue One, because there's a you know, they they basically digitized an actor and made him look like, um, made him look like, a, like a, make it a CG character. And I just don't get the same reaction that I got from the actual human being, you know, when you see him on, on the screen, right? Yeah. It just, it just didn't, wasn't as successful, uh, like you said, kind of feeling, right? Yeah. So we've got the announcement from uh, Ryan Reynolds
2: in particular about deadpool 3 and hugh jackman reprising his role as wolverine and they followed up like the next day with another tweet that had a video with ryan reynolds and uh, hugh jackman like explaining the timeline and logan canon and how this fits into the mcu and etc except every word that they say that would be meaningful is covered over with uh, sound effects I don't know if any, it's, covered, uh, over
4: it's right. covered over with wham, it's covered over with yeah. wham doing wake me up
2: before you go, go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I think, you know, people immediately looked for uh, lip readers and stuff. I think they were not saying anything that would have actually revealed any secrets. Otherwise, we probably would have found out by now. But that was sort of
3: the logical guess for people. Right. Yeah, and it wasn't just the one. It was kind of a non-annou. It was almost like he wasn't announcing the movie, even though he was announcing the movie, right? Cause-
4: well, it was it was a sort of done in a, in a satire, right, where he's like, I knew that you know once once Fox was bought by Disney that you know we were gonna make D- Deadpool three, and we knew we had to make it special, but I got nothing. And then he sees you know Hugh Jackman sort of walks in, through his living room, and he's like, Hey, Hugh, want to be Wolverine again? And Hugh's like walking up the stairs. He's like, Yeah, okay. It's is pretty mm, yeah, funny.
3: Definitely. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a couple of, there's a couple of um, and of course there was some cross marketing. I and mean, I were talking about that on Slack today. Like it, it, you see him pouring pouring out some gin and, and yeah. uh, of course it's his, it's his bottle G- radiation right? so gin, yeah, gin yeah yeah mm-hmm.
4: mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, I guess my question for you guys on this one is, uh, does this make you more or less interested in a Deadpool three? And are you confused, concerned, or otherwise about how this would all fit into now being an MCU movie?
3: Uh, yes to the first, and who cares to the second? It's Deadpool. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm totally hyped up for this, uh, and it is coming out apparently September 6th, 2024, so we'll be talking about this for a while, presumably. Um, there are folks who were like, well, you know, Logan was a really good send-off for Wolverine, and, and, that's, and that's true. Um, and that's, why I think, why they had that second video where, like, How does this fit in? And we've already seen Timey Wimey and Multiverse of Madness stuff. So it'll it'll definitely work in a very comic book sort of way. Right. So um I'm hyped to see this myself. Um how it fits in, um, you know, probably a little bit better. We'll talk about She-Hulk a little bit more today, but She-Hulk is very fourth wall breaking in a you know, Deadpool-esque sort of way, so um, it, it won't have to to break ground for that perspective from the MCU because She Hulk is is leading the way from from that angle.
3: Yeah, I think. Yeah, did they cover the blip in in Deadpool 2? I can't remember. They did not.
4: They did not. They because that that came out as a Fox picture before uh before the merger before the acquisition by uh of those rights by Marvel and Disney. So that's the part I think is going to be the sort of toughest to. To sort of reconcile is you you have to know that Kevin Feige was was cooking up an X Men mutant's future for the MCU. Although it sounds like he's sort of got some bigger plans with the you know Fantastic Four and X-Men and or Fantastic Four and Avengers movies and stuff coming out before then. The idea of once again going to the Hugh Jackman well, even in a bubble, when you'd think they would want to distance themselves a little bit from that world is, is interesting. It's an interesting choice. Yeah, I was going to say, is there ever going to be another actor that can play Wolverine? You know? Well, there has to be. And in the same way that there, there has to be for a lot of these characters, especially because...
3: Yeah, like Spock and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. But I'm, I'm joking. I'm, I'm being facetious because, I mean, realistically, okay, well, they came out with a young mutants, you know, the, the second generation mutants, and who played uh, Wolverine? Oh, wait a minute. It was Hugh Jackman, you know? Mm-hmm. So it it they they play with they play with the uh, with it all the time right? So Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I again, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, do we really need to hold them to the fire their feet to the fire because of these this this decision? No. Get your bag of popcorn enjoy the movie yeah. and enjoy the bleep.
4: You know? Yeah. given that they've already embraced the the Sony Spider-Man movies that they seem to be pulling, you know, they pulled the 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 Inhumans, the flawed and, and much maligned Inhumans, uh, Black Bolt, into the, the latest Doctor Strange movie. Like, they're not shying away from their complicated, rights-divergent past. And if anybody can pull this off, it's going to be Kevin Feige, right? To, to make this make sense. All right, next up... And in sad news... Yeah, well, this one's kind of bittersweet. So... We got news this week that James Earl Jones has said that he is retiring as the voice of Darth Vader, but not really. So he has decided that um, he is no longer going to record new sessions to be Darth Vader's voice for any future Star Wars project. He had famously gone back into the studio to record lines for, uh, you know, Star Wars episode 3 long after the fact and then even into when we got into Star Wars Rebels he was actually doing the voice new new lines of dialogue as Darth Vader during that stretch you know f- 5 6 years ago but he's 91 years old and you know it eventually all good things come to an end he's decided he's going to step away but he has signed off on his voice rights which is very interesting so he's essentially said, you can use the likeness of my voice using ReSpeecher, which is the program that they've used to do some of those adaptations of people's voices over the last few movies, and said, you know, basically, I'll still be Darth Vader. It just won't be me delivering the lines, which is kind of a weird, kind of a weird world we're entering where, you know, obviously we've had things like a digital Carrie Fisher and a digital Peter Cushing in, in rogue one. Now the idea that, yeah, we're, we're now going to get these deals in the same way that we get, you know, uh, Neil Young selling his music catalog. Uh, we're going to get, yeah, these artists who are like, I will sign over my likeness rights to, you know, insert, insert agency here who can continue to license my, my appearance or my voice or my you know whatever it is in perpetuity so you know theoretically we could be looking at a time where like long after they've passed we could literally have you know all these performers popping back up it reminds me of tim and you'll probably remember this do you remember the monty python bit about Marilyn monroe appearing in a new movie and they're like, well, yeah, you know, yeah, in the ashtray, yeah. yeah. She, she's, she was surely she, she was cremated. We're like, yeah, she's going to be an ash. We're going to put her in the fireplace for some of the scenes. We're going to put her in some ashtrays for some of the scenes, but she's there. It's, it's a weird, it's
3: yeah. a weird trend. It's a weird thing, but I, but I'm glad. I'm, I mean, nobody else can be Darth Vader, right? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. there was a Coke commercial, like going back around that same time where there was Marilyn Monroe and Humphrey Bogart and, and a few other people that, you know, were, had been long been dead and they just, you know, had taken them from the films and lifted them and animated them into into new roles. I mean, um I, I think this is great. I think I think this is sort of a forward thinking actor or agent whoever came up with this idea because in reality, like, you know, we, we all know, you know, James Earl Jones is not gonna live forever. He's not gonna be able to act forever. He's not gonna be able to perform forever. But the fact that he's he's, you know, taking in a sense, ownership of the character of Darth Vader, or at least the voice of, right? Um this is great because darth vader's voice is never going to change you know like i think this is this is amazing you know i I think you know the whole i mean the whole copyright and and you know image and you know you got you know people like tom cruise saying you can never digitize his his likeness and things like that i think that's in the same sense that look what net or napster did for napster and digital downloads did for radiohead i mean they kind of embraced it right they didn't, they didn't fight the whole, hey, you're, you're stealing my intellectual property. They're like, here's some content, put it up there, right? And, and look what it did for them, right? Well, they can't all be Metallica. <laughs>
2: you know, these, these digital rights get interesting. So, you know, prior to this, we have talked about uh, Prince, who was famously a I never want my stuff on streaming. We didn't believe in it uh, philosophically and uh, his estate felt kind of differently and it is uh very easy to get his catalog now separating out the you know wishes of your your you know a dead family member is is a separate topic we're probably not going to get super deep into but these sorts of things feel like even if the actors don't do it themselves it's probably inevitable that you'll start seeing a lot of the estates doing it right and i i do kind of wonder when Somebody will be sort of forward thinking of it and 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 maybe a little narcissistic and say, I am going to write my own eulogy and I will be uh, giving my own eulogy speech at my funeral. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing to do.
3: Yeah, I mean, in recording music, I mean, you look at like you're right, because Frank Zappa's um, wife and Frank Zappa, I don't know about Zappa himself, but his wife would never let the catalog be digitized um after she died the sons went let's put it online you know so it's it's now in iTunes you can now, you can now download the whole catalog and we're getting you know they're they're continuing to produce recordings cuz the man recorded every time he played right um and then you've got the Beatle catalog came out the Beatles have not owned the catalog for i don't know many 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 years right like it was sold out from underneath them in fact right um and now we're getting all kinds of amazing Beatle music right and you know, other bands are doing the same thing and and like Jonathan mentioned I think Bruce Springsteen and and um, Neil Young, yeah. I want to say, I want to say Billy Joel, but I don't know if he did or not sell his rights, but um yeah. Speaking of which, I saw a show uh, if you guys I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a um on Netflix I think it's called um Hard Guns or it might be on Amazon Prime and it's about the musicians that play live for these bands that travel around, you know, the world and and some of them the machinations of the of the recording stars, you know, who've kind of just, you know, Screwed over the the musicians who basically recorded with them and made the music with them, but they were never really officially part of the band. They were just a hired gun kind of thing. So, an interesting, interesting uh, story. But so um, along these
2: same lines, with what Jonathan had posted, uh, Bruce Willis has uh, sold rights to his likeness and everything to a deepfake firm. Bruce Willis, you might remember, we talked about the fact that he has uh, aphasia, a uh, disease that makes it difficult to communicate. Um, and so he has been doing all sorts of weird, um, like he gets paid for like three hours to to a day sort of filming for these, these, um, you know, uh, transmorphers and and pirates kind of weird knockoff movies that, that show up on the, on the back catalog of, of Hollywood video. And, uh, it's to just get a sweet payday. Right. And, and maybe he's like Walter Whiting it of like i was gonna build up a boatload of cash for my my heirs, but uh, now the the deep fake technology stuff and the likeness stuff are getting sold. So so not just James Earl Jones the voice, but um, the voice and uh, visual likeness of uh, Bruce Willis. Cash in while you can, I guess.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, the next thing we up is the first teaser trailer for The Last of Us the HBO adaptation of the extremely popular video game dropped this week uh not not very heavy on details very much you know it's it's sort of the song playing in the background a lot of sort of little quick cuts and showing you sort of what the world like looks like we see uh, of course Pedro Pascal as the sort of lead character and um Oh, I can't remember the young woman's name. She was from Game of Thrones um, as as the sort of young female protagonist. And yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting looking program. Although I did even find myself looking at it thinking like, no matter how good this is, I wonder if it will suffer
3: from Walking Dead fatigue. I was going to say like zombies, like more zombies immediately. That's the first thing I noticed. So I went, oh, more zombies.
2: Yeah, it depends how different they can do it because it's, it, it it's more like a like a spore like affliction um but it's essentially kind of like zombies right um very similar elena uh, mormont or lady mormont if it refers who yeah. you're you're thinking of uh for the actress uh in character in game of thrones this looks pretty um pretty game accurate uh, it has been a minute uh, it does get pretty tense in the game and it's not really spoilers to say that like many zombie kind of uh films humanity is the villain really when it comes to it so uh, we'll see what they end up doing with this uh series I, I i'm gonna hope that season one is effectively the game itself um uh or or at most you know two seasons to do one of the games kind of thing have you played the game mm-hmm. yeah yeah in fact it has a remaster coming out. It's It's been long enough that they're doing a, a, a newer remaster. Hmm. Yeah,
4: I've, yeah, I I got it as a free download uh, a number of years back, but I'm not huge on sort of jump-scare horror video games. I've I played a few, and I, I just find them a little tedious and, and just kind of grim, I, I find, especially for games that are sort of involving like that, where it's sort of telling you a story, and you have to sort of, you know... F- fight your way from beginning to end or sneak your way from beginning to end. I find them a little, a little hard to, to, to commit the time to, if you're going to spend 20, 25 hours on a game, it's it's a lot, it's a lot. And I know that it's an exceptional game. I've read all the reviews and I I know people in the industry who have, who've raved about it, but I don't know. I just, I've never been able to pull the trigger on sitting down and thinking like, this is a good use of my time. I'm going to get my pants scared off and, and have to, you know, uh, you know, murder people to keep this little girl alive. I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't really hit me where I want to spend my time gaming.
2: And that's where, mm-hmm. um, you know, folks were kind of wondering, you know, that game was so cinematic and feel, Would this feel like pretty much the same? And um, I think even if it was, bummer for the gamers who enjoyed the game and wanted something different, but a huge bonus for lots of folks who never experienced the game and get a chance to see this great story. Right. So you might benefit from that if you were never into the idea of sitting down and and doing the interactive part. Well, that's okay. This is a non-interactive version of the game, uh, hypothetically.
3: And trust me, it be cool if they could actually make a movie that was interactive, (laughs) (laughs) like Bandersnatch kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, the alternative to
2: it uh, being exactly the same as a game is you could be like the Halo TV series, which is very far away from the games and people were not happy about that either. So really, really tough to f- do that fine line of uh, a great adaptation that not only feels true to the spirit of the original source, but does its own worthwhile thing.
3: Yeah. Where does, where does the Halo TV show stand right now? Like, are, is, it, is it good? Are people watching it? Is it canceled? What's the story?
2: I think they had already picked it up for a season two pretty early on. It, I think it was such a large investment. It was sort of those, like, practically pre, pre-approved for two seasons. But I'll be interested to see if they do any uh, hard lefts or or walking back of things, because the, the fan base, um, you know, the fan base wasn't super into the changes that they made. I am less clear. I'm not seeing the stats myself. Uh, as I mentioned, I, uh, you know, I played the Halo games. I was never super into the lore, so the lore didn't bother me at all. Uh, had some issues with some of the things of like, ah, you're, you're doing normal people television here. Don't, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that in your multimillion dollar streaming series, right. Do do that for CSI and and new Amsterdam. Um, So we'll, we'll, we'll see what they do. You know, it's a struggle when you're trying to do, uh, you know, that was the first, um, am I right here? Yeah. That's the first major non-Star Trek sort of thing that they were trying to do themselves. Right. Was eight. All right, cool. We, we make we make tons of money off of uh, subscribers to Paramount Plus or Star Trek, and we got a lot of Star Trek. But what else can we do? Yeah. So apparently, some of you all have not seen Avatar in the theaters, and that's okay because not everybody was was uh, in existence back when that movie came out, and not everybody was uh, you know reasonably old enough to have seen it as it was meant to be in three D in the theaters. Right. So if I were to make an analogy for my own self, I was like two years old when Return of the Jedi came out. So I've like never seen the originals in the theaters, which is why it was a big deal for me to go see the special editions when I was in high school. Right. So I totally get it. And Avatar made something like 30 million dollars in its re-release coming up here. And how far away are we from Way of Water? Is it like a couple months December. It's December sixteenth, it says, uh, in this article. So Yep. Not not bad at all. I mean, uh thirty million is nothing nothing to, to sniff at considering it's been on like TBS for free for like forever until it moved <laughs> over to Disney Plus, uh before they, they they took it away so they could put this back
3: in theaters. And they, well they got fifty bucks of our money, I think, right?
2: Yep. Yeah, and honestly, like, you know, if you wanted to rehype yourself like if you saw it in the theaters originally and you wanted to re you know get into that mood again for the new movies i understand that again the other one is if you were not old enough to to see it or
3: remember it then it seems like a good uh, a good way to get back out there was it just playing the one night or did it play like the whole weekend no it was playing
4: playing the whole weekend i think the, the night we saw it was the night it sort of debuted redebuted, obviously But uh, yeah, it's, it it was there, I think, short term, but, but long enough, obviously, to make some decent coin. What, uh, I guess, do you want to, do you want to talk about our film going
3: experience to see it, Tim, since we're here? Uh, We can. Um, I mean, like when I, I have have this uh, app called Letterboxd, where I basically record all the movies that I've seen and I give them a rating and I noticed that I had given it a five out of five rating and I dropped it to four after seeing it again <laughs> harsh um yeah well you know I mean a movie has to really you know to for me to want to watch it over and over again um it would have to be you know pretty high up there in terms like Blade Runner you know Blade Runner is an example of a movie that I would call a five right for me um but you know like like I think Blade Runner 2049 or, or yeah 2049 I probably rated it a four I'd have to look it up but you know a four is still something i would watch whenever it's on kind of thing and i mean the the effects were really really good but i di- i didn't get that same blown away feeling that i got when i first saw it in the theater right i mean some of the scenes like i mentioned before when the trees burning and and the ashes are falling um i seem i remember that having more of an impact on me but but even right from the very opening scenes where um our hero is you know being coming out of suspended animation and they've got that whole sort of you know view down um and i was joking with with your sons about you know back in the 70s and 80s when whenever they did like a 3d movie you could invariably see hope to see you know a mail slot or a mail shoot where they would they would you know point the camera down the end of the shoot and they would fire letters at you (laughs) kind of thing you know or or the the jokey thing that this this sctv used to do with their fingers and moving their hands back and forth and then in this movie they literally had giovanni rubisi hit, a, hit a, uh, a a golf ball into a cup yeah. in the in the screen you know i mean like that was so trite you know such a kitschy thing to do in a 3d movie back in the day and and here it was it did a couple of scenes like that in this movie right yeah. um just for the sake of like hey it's 3d isn't this cool like you know didn't do anything to advance the plot or wasn't really necessary um maybe a little bit of character development in the case of this golf playing dude but because I mean, who plays golf in their office anymore, right? Well, wow, and he's not playing in his <laughs> um, office; He's playing in the middle of the command center too. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the story—the story is the story. Like you said, it's kind of a sort of fantasy, you know, thing. I mean, Dances with Wolves meets the Smurfs. That's—it's. I stand by that. Yeah, review. I did. I did watch, that was my review years ago. It'll be my review next time too. I did. I did. Uh, I did go back and watch that. It was. I, I put a link on the last week's. Um, show notes if anybody's curious about the dances with smurfs um reference you guys talked about but um because i'd never seen that show but um you know so it was i mean it was good i'm glad i went back and saw it in the, in, in the theater because again you know we saw it on a really good in a really good screen you know in a really good theater mm-hmm. um so it was good i mean again the the whole again i i i, I don't know what it is it's, i think it's a transformers 2 movie right where is all this CGI for the sake of CGI? You know, um, battle. Yeah. You know, things beating each other up, and and I just get so tired of those scenes. Yep. You know, like in fact, you know, I sure I closed my eyes for a few minutes during that part of the movie, right? Like, you know, so that that that's probably part of the reason why it lost a star in my mind. Yeah. What do? What about you, John?
4: Yeah, I mean, I it's funny because I remember thinking at the time it was hands down the best use of three D I'd ever seen it was extremely well done cuz you know james cameron is a visionary he really does have high standards and sets a very high bar in every film that he's ever made and so you know he was thinking about every shot and how it would work and everything else so it's 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 done really well i went to watch it this time and i found myself thinking it it holds up quite well it is quite good but it is starting to show that that time has passed. Thirteen years is a long time in this era of technology. When you look at
3: you know the kind of stuff that we've seen from the Star Warses and the Marvels, and and yeah, it was no it was no Spider Man, No Way Home. That was a you know that was an example of a good movie that was in three the three D really helped the movie, right? Yeah. So it,
4: it it's one of those things where you. You're right. The memory doesn't necessarily hold up as well as the exact uh, experience. But that being said, I, you know, we took uh, my, my young cousin with us to, to go see the experience. She'd never seen it. She's, as you say, she was the exact group you were talking about, Jaime. She's just turned 17. She'd never seen it. And... You know, she was sitting between two critics and cynics. And, and uh, I sort of said to her afterwards, what did you think? And she just got a big smile on her face and was like, that was amazing. And I was like, you know, it's the same mentality that, that we don't have, that we joke about all the time. But there are kids who are like, I freaking love Jar Jar Binks. You know what I mean? Like, there is a there is a populist aspect to Avatar that I think is wildly underrated. It it does appeal on a mass way that maybe sci-fi hardcores like us don't necessarily feel, but it's got really broad appeal. Oh, no, those poor blue Smurfs, the the blue cats. Oh, no, the poor blue cats. Oh, their tree fell down. Oh, no. Oh, but they come to the end and they save the day. And, you
3: know. Yeah. By the same token, though, I mean, like, I don't think I'd ever seen Zoe. That's Zoe Saldana, right? Yep. Uh. I don't think I've ever, I i do not think I had ever seen her in a movie up to that point, right? So that was the, my sort of first time seeing her, and the the guy who plays the main character was Sam Wellington. I mean, that was before the Terminator Twelve movie or wherever he was in. But um, you know, I hadn't I'd never seen him as an actor before. But I don't know if you if you if you saw this or you even noticed this, but did you notice the Sigourney Weaver's nose as a Smurf was awfully human looking? Uh, yeah, I mean they. It's funny because
4: his character looked like him and I found that hers was like a little, I don't know, maybe it was the attire too and the haircut and everything, but I don't know. Like I Mm said, some of it holds up well, some of it holds up less well. They did show us, uh, so for sort of your extra bonus, is it worth the extra money to go see it again? They did show a good five minute clip in IMAX 3D from the new movie. So the new movie Water World, right It's called Water World yes, water world it's, it, it's a It's a pretty innocuous scene, and so I, you know I'm not going to worry about spoiling it. It just shows a young uh member of the navi in the water he's he is uh with a, a water creature he's going above the water, he's going below the water, and he's interacting with this creature, and it's a notable quality improvement over what we just saw previously. It looks yeah, pretty fantastic. Yeah. And I found myself thinking, because I I honestly, like, I know we talked about it in a previous podcast. I talked about it with other people. You know, Avatar is not at the front of my mind. It's 13 years ago. It's 13 years ago.
3: It's not a movie where I'm like, I can't wait for the next one. But do you remember, though, that we saw a, um, we saw the trailer in 3D on that same IMAX, in that same IMAX here. And then a couple of weeks later, I saw the same trailer in 2D. And the 2D trailer didn't work for me as well as the 3D one did, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, so, so it definitely is. A, it definitely is a movie that that benefits from being in seen in in uh, 3D for sure. Because, like you said, the attention to detail and and I think that's true of anything that the Cameron does, right? I mean, it's all he. I'm sure he's a pain in the ass to work for, oh, you know, because he probably yeah. take it back. It's not right. Incredibly you know? demanding, I'm sure. But again, he's had.
4: 13 years, he hasn't done anything else. I mean, he's sort of getting in a submersible and going to the bottom of the ocean. He hasn't done anything else. Like, this is one of the foremost filmmakers, visionary filmmakers of the last 35 years. You know, Terminator, Aliens, Titanic, Avatar. This is, you know, it doesn't get bigger than James Cameron. This guy's done nothing for the last decade but work on more Avatar. And I find myself thinking... It can't be bad, can it? <laughs> well, who knows? I don't know. So the end who comes, br- comes uh, with, you know, a thud for some some people in this industry. But boy, I hope it's not that because there's a lot of money tied up in this thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Last thing before we get on to our main, uh just wanted to add this in. We had talked in a previous episode about the fact that Netflix had picked up the uh rights to do a tv show based on grendel grendel is a very uh good cult comic by matt wagner and i was excited about it it's about uh this sort of uh criminal who fights crime he's sort of you know uh happy to stoop to the level of of other criminals to fight crime and and just a, a really interesting complex character. I was excited that they were going to do this. We got news from our fro- friends over at Variety this week that the project is no longer moving forward at Netflix. So, yeah, it's uh it's disappointing, you know. I st- I still think that there's enough there there that hopefully someone might want to do this, but for the time being at least it is uh it is kaput.
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's move on to our main part of the show, and we're going to start off with something Star Trek-related, and this time it's going to be, once again, The Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 6, Hear All and Trust Nothing. And um, I modified your your elevator pitch, but... Oh, do... yeah, go for it. Yeah, okay, so Jonathan's written here, which is great. It's a nostalgic trip to Deep Space Nine, including the, let's just, you know, spin around the pillars and enjoy the pillars. <laughs> um... With complete with theme music, and uh Tendi learns to embrace her inner Orion uh, past, and um, while meanwhile, Bo- meanwhile, Bold Boimler hits a hot streak uh, in Quarks, and Mariner struggles to bond with her girlfriend's cleat, and then uh, so yeah, it's kind of it's it's a visit to. I think we talked about the fact that they were going to be visiting upon other Star Trek franchises, or uh, maybe they mentioned it in the. um in the Star Trek day stuff that I was watching. I don't know if we we talked about that on the show or not, but uh, the showrunner had mentioned that he was going to, there was going to be some surprises coming up and everybody's like, oh boy, they're going to go to the enterprise or, oh boy, they're going to go to, you know, Voyager or something. But here it was deep space. Nine. like I said, I watched it with the number one fan this afternoon or this evening. And uh, I said, you know, it was probably easy to choose deep space nine because it's not going anywhere. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's right there in space, complete with wormhole.
4: Yeah, I mean, my pick for sort of best pew 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 in this one, the the, the best bit of action was was uh, at one point Tendi is uh, with Rutherford and another Orion. They get uh, they get stuck aboard this ship from the Gamma Quadrant that's gonna you know basically kidnap them and Quark, and she kind of goes berserk and embraces her her Orion pirate heritage and and just starts bashing people and she's got this sort of uh, this Orion multi tool. And she uses it to just smash into this guy's mouth and pop his tooth, his latinum-plated tooth out, which, uh, yeah, again, it's, it's always fun when they mess with your expectations of these characters to have... Last week, we had Rutherford and evil Rutherford. You know, Rutherford's the nicest person. To see him be a bad guy is like, whoa! And same thing when... Tendy is just such a sweet character to have her suddenly be like, I got this and go like and you know,
3: smash somebody's tooth out of their mouth is it's, it's kinda of fun. It's kinda of fun. Well it was it was more like an unconscious uh dental surgery maneuver that she did <laughs> Yeah, there, right? yeah. Uh, did you guys have any other pew 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 moments? Well, pew pew I mean the pew 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 thing where Mariner and her girlfriend decide to, to phase themselves because she's phased <laughs> all the uh stunned all the all the other girls in the party, right? Yeah was kind of an interesting one and of course the tractor beam like you know and and you know because because tendy manages to stop the the ship and then of course the ransom and crew throw it in the tractor beam and he's like why did they just stop and let us grab them on the tractor beam you know <laughs> pew 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 i took it in a
2: different spirit and i took it as the circling the pylons moment as the you know <laughs> oh, the, the, budge, the budget uh spending scene of like you know let's let's show off The station, sort of thing, and and the wormhole. Um, Yeah, I did uh, pick up um, the uh, 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 Shax when he sees Deep Space Nine. He cusses out something like "stupid Cardassian eyesore" or something, which makes sense (laughs) because he's Bajoran, (laughs) right? So it's like this symbol of oppression to him, not this uh, uh, practically Disneyland for the the Starfleet folks, folks, right? Like Rutherford. you know, wanting to go up on the on the promenade so he could, you know, dangle his, his feet and they're like, We gotta go He's like, Oh, but I wanted to like have a conversation with a junior reporter or something as a reference to Jake Cisco. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and worth mentioning
4: that uh we we got both uh Nana Visitor as as now Colonel Kira as the, the administrator of the of Deep Space Nine now and Armin Shimmerman came back as Quark. So we did get it, it wasn't a full cast reunion, but we got sort of two of the main characters mixed in there of course um Rene has passed away so um and and um uh, so is the young man who played uh, nog too, passed away in the last couple of years so we couldn't obviously get everybody back together but those it was still nice to sort of see faces
3: yeah had, had the amalgam of of nog and and uh, cork's brother sort of in that one character that um, at the Dabo table, yeah, right? and, and Dabo was about Easter, Easter Egg as well, right? And, and I, I was
4: thinking about that. Was, at first, I thought, "Oh, is that him?" And I was like, "No," because he's the Grand Negus as as we, as we how we left
2: him, right?
3: Oh, was he okay? Right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, the The
2: Ferengi running the Dabo part- tables kind of reminded me of that one character that was uh, a female Ferengi who was pretending to be male hmm. because it's illegal to have, or at the time, illegal for them to have profit, illegal for them to wear clothes. And uh, it kind of had that sort of vibe. I, I think they were probably meant to be generic Ferengi, uh, but I, I interpreted them as that character. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe that's a follow-up sort of thing. So I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh,
4: an episode like this, um, packed with Easter eggs because we're so nostalgic for, for DS9. What did you guys have for, for some Easter eggs that you saw?
3: Little little bits of the past. Well as you mentioned here, I I, just, I did pause the, the show a few times to explain to Xavier who the two people were. Like I explained to him about Norm on Cheer. Yeah. <laughs> um and then of course we saw Morn, and, and I don't think I as I said to Xavier, I don't think he ever said a single word on on Deep Space Nine, nope. right? So yeah. And it was always always the same actor too. Yep. Yeah, and always sitting at the same bar stool. And it was um when they were transporting the drinks at the very beginning. I didn't catch all the names, but, you know, there was like the, the Romulan drinks or whatever and um, the, I didn't get a chance to read all the crates. I don't know if you saw any of the crates that were being transported. You got Batless r us Where was that?
4: Oh, at one point when, when they first arrive on the station, they're walking through the promenade and they make a quick past, pa- a path past uh, a Klingon booth and you can just catch at r us as, as the name
2: of the booth. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I caught quite as many uh, of those Easter eggs as I was caught up with uh, sort of the the nostalgia of being of being in there uh, with that, that yeah. crew. Yeah, I, it's funny.
4: I mean, I, I know it's sacrilege. I love TNG, but I, I still have a special place in my heart for DS9. I love that series. I thought
3: it was so good. Mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. yeah, As soon as you mentioned the Dominion, I had a feeling we were going. I didn't think we were going there, but I had a feeling we were going somewhere, but they're related, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's timing. It, like, I mean, I know it wasn't intentional, but but with the passing of Louis Fletcher, it's it's kind of fitting that this was the episode that aired, right? Yeah. Good call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, My, so, yeah I... so what exactly is a brown hole,
4: John? <laughs> well, <laughs> so at the beginning of the episode, they uh, the, the, it's supposed to be a typical Cerritos mission. It's supposed to be them as the support. For somebody else, and then that ship gets called away on a different mission. And the admiral, uh, a buen amigo, says to Freeman, "Sorry, you're going to have to take the lead on this. I have to just t- take the Vancouver away to this other mission. They're going to go deal with a brown hole." And she goes, "That's not even a thing." And so the <laughs> exactly. question of the week is: What exactly is a brown hole? Maybe we shouldn't
2: Google it. I'm just suggesting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Any scientific
4: yeah, thoughts on the brown hole?
2: Yeah, I, I was curious about that myself. I'm like, that's not a real space thing, is it? Because uh, you know, we know of black holes, right? That's probably more popular in, in mainstream yeah. uh, media understanding of of space uh, astronomy. But uh, brown dwarf is what it kind of you know sounds like it could be related to if you didn't go the uh, the the urban dictionary kind of route for black hole uh, for brown hole. And so I, I thought maybe it might be related to that, but I searched and I searched and there is literally no real thing like brown, holes. <laughs> brown hole versus black hole. Oh. Like, there's, there's just nothing you're going to find there. So they're, they're, that was legit. Uh, that's not a real thing, as they stated in the show.
4: And after 20 minutes of searching brown hole, the stuff that shows up on your Amazon want list is going to be spectacular, Jaime. Yeah, yeah. All those cookies are going to lead you to some very, very interesting places. Um, I I flagged a couple of good quotes coming out of this from from our lead characters the the first one from Boimler when he gets excited at at playing Dabo uh, Mariner sort of says you know why would you even play that it's a Ferengi bar you're gonna get cheated and he says cheating at Quarks you can't rig a game here that was of course classic Uh, Tendy. I'm pirating. Uh, again, really like that one. But my favorite for the episode was probably, there's the subplot where, of course, Mariner is going with her girlfriend, Jennifer, and they're going to go hang out with Jennifer's friends. And, uh, you know, they end up getting locked in their room and they're all freaking out. And so she sort of says, Jennifer says, like, if they're freaking out, I kind of wanted you to sort of put these women in their place. I'm kind of looking forward to you being you around these crazy, uh, overreacting people. And so she pulls out a phaser and just starts running around the room phasering them all. So the quote is, well, I definitely didn't
2: have phaser all your friends on my bingo card. Right. Great stuff. Yeah. This, uh, this episode was kind of interesting to see the contrast between the two Orions. You have Tendi, mm. who is desperately trying to avoid anything related to her culture because she thinks of all the negative stereotypes. And the other guy who's kind of like Worf, he's like from Ohio. He is the most Orion of Orions because he is looking at the stereotypes and he didn't actually grow up in the culture for uh, any significant period of time. So seeing those sorts of different things is kind of an interesting, almost, um, you know, commentary about, people view their self identity and their cultural identity.
4: Yep. Right? Yep. An interesting sort of another decently but not beating you over the head sort of look inside who a character is with Tendy as as we picked that up off of Rutherford last week, right? Mhm. Mhm.
2: getting their their character moments.
4: Yeah, just a little more insight who they are, you know, the fact that she's not necessarily proud of her heritage, even though it is, you know, I mean, you know, I'm sure we've all dealt with it. You know, my cultural heritage is Irish and German. There was a lot of crap to be taken as a young person being Irish and German, especially the German side. Uh, I'm sure both of you, because of your cultural heritage, have taken a lot of crap and and, and Tendi is tired of people being like, well, you must have been a pirate. You're Orion.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah a hundred percent changing topics a little bit my big question here is what is mariner's relationship with the ds9 crew they clearly know her pretty well we've seen her uh know folks from uh, like the enterprise there's a long-standing theory on the internets from like season one that mariner's slightly older than the other lower deckers and might have been like one of the family members on the enterprise with uh with her mother serving on the enterprise I don't think we've seen anything to make that concrete, but it would kind of make sense of, like, what would be her relationship with these major characters there. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And it works well because she's always sort of the voice of been there, done that on these shows, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it leads to the payoff of funny gags like her having a tab run
3: up at Quark's bar. Yeah. Yeah. And blackmail material on Quark. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she and she's sort of been on all these different missions or mission different ships and things like that in, in her career, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because her her mother's always annoyed at the fact that she never really wants to advance her career. Just stay staying where she is, right? Yep. And that's not the first time we've seen a Rito's t shirt, right? No. But for Christmas. Right. We- <laughs> <laughs> like those disco shirts, they should put those available as well if they haven't already. Well, you can buy them on US, Amazon, but uh, not in Canada so far. Um, And we move on to she Home. Yeah. was mm-hmm.
2: oh, yeah, a much better ahead. elevator pitch than what I had, because uh, mine was, you know, uh, Shulk has a boyfriend, rather client maybe at large, and I feel like yours is is a, a much more fleshed in version of that.
4: <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, after finally meeting a quote-unquote nice guy, Jen travels to Emil Blonsky's healing retreat where she has a breakthrough among his wacky cast of misfit supervillains. Sums mm-hmm. it up. It's a, it, it's sort of a bottle episode, more or less. It, it, there's like obviously a little bit at the beginning of Jen's apartment, but it's really focused on her getting stuck at Blonsky's place amongst these Z-list supervillains and having to sort of first put up with them, but then also develop, you know oh, these guys are actually working on themselves, maybe I've got some stuff to work on too. So wasn't a very big pew-pew-pew episode. There was obviously the, the fight that ends up getting Jen stranded at Blonsky's is when uh, the two B-list characters, Bull and al Agia, Agila uh End up having a, 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 a knockdown fight that ends up crushing the front of her Prius. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. pretty pretty light on the pew 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 this this week. The only Easter egg that I pulled out of this one that wasn't obvious. I mean, Manbull, Elagia, Porcupine, Saracen, and the Wrecker. Those are all established Marvel characters. Uh, pretty oh, list. Really? Hmm. Like none of those are new. They're they're all adapted. Um, Saracen, the the vampire character, was from Blade, the comic book. Mambles popped up all over the place fighting the hulk and characters like that um alagila is actually a, a mutant in the comic books. same we saw that him using his sort of bioelectric powers through his sword porcupine again a b-list you know guy in a suit covered in in spikes you know and, and the wrecker of course we saw as part of the wrecking crew a, a couple episodes back uh, trying to steal jen's blood and, and we'll circle back to that but yeah, the the only other Easter egg that I caught was uh when the, the tow truck comes to pick her up, it says Slots Towing, S-L-O-T-T. And uh the truck driver's wearing a shirt that says Dan. Dan Slot is the name of a very prominent comic book writer who has a pretty good run on she hulk So again, nice little way to I like I like it when they honor the guys who uh guys, the the people who have done these stories you know, for years and years and years, obviously before they became Marvel and Disney Plus shows. So this week we ended up with... You know the the big question was you know so so you know Jen ends up meeting this nice nice guy his name's Josh they met at the in the at the wedding in the last episode this week we see them dating eventually they sleep together and then he ghosts her and the whole episode is about her trying to sort of come to grips with the fact that she's struggling with her dual identities and also the way that people treat her as Jen versus the way that people treat her as She Hulk and uh, you know. Spoiler, spoilers. But at the end of the episode, we do find out that Josh was sleeping with her to get to her because he wanted to steal her blood, which we had seen as this sort of running subplot of of somebody's trying to steal Hulk's blood. So the question becomes, who is Josh working for? Is it, uh, you know, as we talked about last week, we you know, we said that there was this shady organization that, you know, was trying to get in there and, and steal her blood. Uh, steal her blood you know is is it them is there something else so uh that's sort of the the underlying mystery for this this series right what what are they trying to do and obviously bruce says that in the early episode like people would you know we we have to protect this and we can't let your blood out
2: there because who knows what people would do with it right yeah yeah i um i wasn't sure how they were gonna get the blood i wasn't sure if it was gonna be from the the lovemaking scene, I kind of suspected that it might be a, uh, a porcupine thing. Uh, cause that would be a, a way to get that just kind of accidentally. It's like, Oh, okay. He's ready for hugs. Now. Oh, that was a dumb idea. Wasn't it like hugging the guy with quills and now my blood's available. Um, especially cause that one guy came back. Uh, who the uh the, yeah. The, yeah. One of the four guys that was attacking her and, and did have that, that, you know, Deadpool-esque moment of like, this guy. Yeah, bet you don't even remember this guy is. Okay, previously on this guy. <laughs> they, give us, <laughs> they give us who that dude was when he attacked her with those uh, those weapons. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep.
4: Yeah, funny, uh, another funny episode. The show continues to be consistent in its humor. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I think people were happy when they heard the casting of Tatiana Maslani because they think of her, obviously, orphan black. She did such an amazing job in that. And there are certainly moments of humor in that show, but it's it's a very different type of character here. She's really funny. She's quite charming and likable.
2: Yeah. And uh, people have been wondering about, like, where's the big bad? I think this is one where, like, the big bad is kind of in the shadows for a long period of time, just like WandaVision. Uh, most mm-hmm. of these episodes are not really about the big bad. And, uh, there's what two episodes left, I think is it eight or nine episodes, I think for this one. Yeah. So,
4: something like that. Yeah. Uh,
2: there's, there's probably enough time to to settle the big bad thing, but, um, I could also see some of these shows being kind of, um, the, the glue for the overall MCU, right? Yeah. Um, like, uh, Miss Marvel is a largely glue show. It's not as if, uh, it's totally standalone it sets up a lot of things for future stuff like marvels in, in future things and so i think we might see some of these or this one's a little bit more low-key uh, and you've got low-key and that's a great fun i hadn't even thought about <laughs> well, done, <laughs> I I not, well that was done. not intentional i i, I you know <laughs> blind squirrel finds the acorn every once in a while that was that kind of situation <laughs> Yeah. So I'm enjoying it. It's, it's pretty cool so far. It is very different. I can understand why folks would be like, you know, I want the pew, pew, pew. I want the punches. Uh, not really what this show is about. It's She-Hulk attorney at law, not She-Hulk, right? Which probably is a is a good hint there.
4: Yeah. And we've got, you know, we know some things that are coming. We've known from the trailers and otherwise, you know, We're still waiting for the shoe to drop on. Is Daredevil going to show up at some point? Or Matt Murdock? Or, you know, so there's interesting stuff still sort of lingering out there. But I think, you know, obviously you want it to leave on a good note. And it doesn't seem like there's a ton of time left for them to wrap this up. But I also think, I, I hope. As much as I've enjoyed this character, I hope that she's part of the big plans, and I hope that we're going to see more of her. And if we don't get closure on every one of these little little things they've opened up, I think that's fine. Unlike Indeed. some of the other series yep. where they've kind of set it up to fail, where if you didn't get everything, you'd be like, why did I watch this? Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to move on to Andor?
2: Yeah, let's get there. on to Andor. Once again, you have the better elevator pitch, because mine was Andor gets an elevator pitch and there are office politics across the galaxy, no matter who you are.
4: That's pretty good. I like that. I like that. I had, uh, after narrowly escaping Phoenix, Cassian agrees to join a rebel team planning a daring heist at an Imperial base. Meanwhile, Luthan's true identity and his role in the rebellion is revealed. So that was kind of interesting.
3: Yeah, and it's it's funny because you know my first commentary on on the um, first three episodes were that I didn't mm-hmm. think that it, it might not be approachable for someone to watch the first episode or even the first and second episode and then want to see the third. Um, you know, the third episode was kind of where I think the rubber met the road, as it were, mm-hmm. and I was disappointed that I wasn't able to carry on to the fifth episode after watching this one. You know, like mm-hmm. um, they've, they've the the hook is firmly planted in my cheek and they've got me, dra- they're dragging me along, you know? Yep. So, yeah, because they, they set it up to the point where you're like, okay, let's go do this, and in fact, he even says, let's go do this at the end of the episode, and then fade to black, right?
2: Ends in a weird spot. Yep. Uh, spoilers, Andor gets homework. <laughs> That's where it <laughs> yeah. ends, and I'm like, what? I'm like, what? There's no five more minutes of this episode? I thought they'd at least be heading towards the plan and stop there. Uh, what a What a fun spot to end the episode. Yeah. Do your homework and go to bed. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. I'm having high school flashbacks. This sucks.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it looks like again, we have another... difference
2: of opinions on the best pew pew pew. I'm sorry to skip ahead. A oh, go bit ahead. There. Yeah, because yours. So so mine was was you know there wasn't much pew 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 here. Mine was the Tie Fighter Patrol, which uh, I thought yeah. I was awesome to
3: say. That Tie Fighters, you know,
2: you know great yep. sound. It's always nice to see those on there. It's you know, the, the hide from the patrol kind of thing. And, you know, that yeah, was where no, the, the no, money went. No, you definitely went.
4: beat me. I, I, I sort of jokingly said the best was when, uh, Karn gets fired. So this is deputy inspector Karn, who was the guy who blew it, uh, and, and made a mountain out of a molehill and embarrassed the empire and everything else in the last three episodes. He and his boss and, uh, uh, fat bastard from, from Austin Powers all get fired and he ends up going home. And the first thing his mother does before she even says hello is smack him across the face. So
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But shame to the family. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding.
4: And it was a good episode. Yeah, it was. So I grabbed a couple of the Easter eggs. There was apparently, uh I grabbed the the link and maybe we can chuck that into our show notes for the screen rant uh review. They did a great job of breaking down a bunch of the stuff that was in Luthen's art gallery. So we find out in this episode that Luthen, uh, who had recruited uh, Cassian into this this mission, is actually a a uh, an art dealer on Coruscant, where one of his clients, who is clearly working with, is Mon Mothma. We we get to see her again, and. Um, Inside of his gallery, they're having this conversation and they're sort of looking around. There's all kinds of cool stuff in there. If you're if you're into deep Star Wars lore, this is a great piece on Screen Rant that talks about like, oh, this was a thing that belonged to this person in this random expanded universe thing. And, you know, it's, they really go down the rabbit hole. And it's really cool to sort of all the stuff that people have called out in there. So neat, neat stuff if you're really into all of that. The only other thing I flagged was they did make a reference in that Imperial meeting where all the Imperials are sitting around and, and talking about their uh, updates. One of them says there's been an increase in construction goods going to Scarif. Of course, Scarif we know will come to play back in Rogue One. That's uh, one of the planets, that's the, I think the first planet that gets targeted by the Death Star and, uh, and gets blown to smithereens.
2: Really, I thought Scarif was where they stole the plans. Was that not where the the final part of the movie takes place? Uh,
4: oh, is Scarif that one? I thought Scarif was the the earlier planet. Maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing them up. Because where's the one where? Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Scarif is the is the tropical planet. I was mixing it up with the one where um, where um, we see Forrest Whitaker and and everybody gets it gets blown up. All the the Book of the Wills and all that stuff. It was uh,
2: Jeddah, I thought. It was like oh, Jedi that's Jedi.
4: Okay, see, there you go. See, yeah. I was mixing it up. So, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, Scarif, obviously, is is where they're building that uh, Imperial, um, where the plans are, essentially, right? Yeah, the big data right. warehouse
2: or data center or whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Server farm, the, the Imperial
3: server farm. Mm hmm. Mm mm-hmm. yeah, I want to know what are those pens that they all have in their lapel? I the, know. The Empire? Like. <laughs> Like what are those? Are they microphones? Or are they you know? And apparently, the more important you are, the more pens you need. Yeah. Well, they have the little the little squares on their chest, right? Yeah. And in this case, they're all blue because the the lead dude has five of them, and the rest of them have three, right? So those are all yep. obviously rankings again. And he's such a interesting administrator, kind of again, you know, sort of a, a next level up, you know, because when when you know there's a, a little of an argument between two of them, um, the one woman who's you know, clearly got her finger on the fact that there's something going wrong. And yet the other guy's like, yeah, but you're stepping on my turf, yeah. you know, and I'm going to block you. And, and then they they go to see the big boss and the boss comes in and shuts them both down in the same manner that the, that, um, uh, the guy who got fired, what's his name again? Um, in the Karn. same manner that, that his boss current tried to shut him down. Right. And then, yeah. you know, the scene where, the three of them are standing there and in they're, in their, you know, you mentioned the suits last week. Um, blue with, with orange uh, piping, which is just a really mm. bad color combination. Oh, um, yeah. They, uh, they, um, he's standing there in the middle and he's got his uniform on. He doesn't look like the big administrator dude that's going off to the big city as he did in the first episode. At first, I didn't recognize him. I'm like, why is that guy here? And then he's like, I wasn't even involved in this thing. And, you know, you're their yeah. boss, you idiot. Of course you were, right? <laughs>
4: Well, as the guy basically says, it, needed, it required a, a combination of, you know, ignorance, ineptitude, and, you know, all these
3: factors to lead to the kind of disaster you guys just brought together. Yeah. An interesting interesting note, one of the actors, um, the sort of Caucasian-looking guy that, you know, when, when they're coming down the hill, Andor and the, and the lady that's leading him, the lead of the team, um, and the one who says, who the heck is that kind of thing... Um, He's, uh, plays the cousin in the bear, right? So it's kind of, like, it's interesting to see all these actors kind of getting these, these good roles right off, you know, they must just, must've just discovered this guy, you know, cause he's been in two great shows right away.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I recognized a couple of those actors in both shows. He's a somewhat antagonistic, uh, not a villain or anything by any means, but just a, a guy who doesn't always agree with the way things are going kind of guy. Yeah. He's the question authority dude. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I said, you know, office politics across the galaxy. So we see uh, the the security guards, the, the corporate security guards and their their politics dealing with the Empire and its office politics and dealing with those guys. We see that there is office politics for the rebellion itself, uh, you know, seeing Luthen dealing with the, the the rebel crew that he wants uh, and or to be with. We see his relationship with. Uh, Mon Mothma, and we even see Mon Mothma's political relationship with her own husband, right? So, office politics everywhere. That was the the sort of thing that I noticed was like jumping out at me, uh like across yeah, all sure. of these different parts of the story. Yeah, Mon Mothma's husband seems like a real tool. <laughs> yeah, inviting her her and yeah. political enemies for like giggles, and not really. He's like, oh, we confirmed. We're like, bro, you can't you can't spring that. She's busy. I'm sure she was probably like. You know, putting on her underwear or something, having just stepped out of the shower, and you're like, hey, can I invite these guys? Yeah, sure, whatever. I'm dripping. You know, I need to
3: go dry myself. Why does everything have to be boring and dull? He says, right?
2: <laughs>
4: yeah, well, and it's funny too, where she's, you know, it's not like she's like, oh, you know, we disagree on our politics. She's like, these people are literally creating a blockade that is going to starve people to death. Like, it's not like I, I disagree with their politics. It's like, these people are monsters, you know? Yeah, just don't sit them next to me. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, looking forward to next week's Pew 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 episode.
4: Yeah, I mean, clearly this was the calm before the storm. And, you know, I, I, I think I agree with you, Tim. You sort of said, you know, I, I wanted the next one immediately. It, it, it was an interesting episode, but it was really, it was it was table setting, right? It was, hold on to your socks, kids, here's yeah. where we're going next. And we know that there's going to be this this raid, and, you know, who knows what comes from that. So, yeah, this this just felt like you know yeah getting everything set up for next week and then big picture we saw the you know we now know that uh it was i think they identified it as a lieutenant miro is the young woman who's working for the imperials who sort of sees this this pattern of there might be something bigger happening here uh with the rebels and so you know are we going to start to see her putting this together and starting to see you know both the imperials realizing that the, the rebels are are getting a little more uh coherent on their tactics. Is it is it going to be on on the as the result of this this heist that they're planning that things will start to sort of escalate and we'll start to see more of what we traditionally recognize as the rebellion?
2: It's a very nuanced sort of approach, right? Where like, you know, you take the simplicity of a new hope and it's pretty much like, everybody's together, we're gonna, you know, go fight the Empire. And it's really only kind of people off to the side like Han Solo that are Uh, a little bit, you know, not fully engaged with that sort of belief. To see other folks who are like very much all heavily committed to the cause, they just do not yet agree precisely how to obtain the goal of that cause. Yet they're not really unified, which, you know, it's five years before the Battle of Yavin, so plenty, plenty of time to start building up that sort of thing.
4: Yep, yep. It does make you wonder if we'll start to see any kind of, you know, Rogue One kind of sort of stood on its own, but then also had a few little Easter eggs with tying into Rebels and stuff like that. I wonder if we'll see any more integrations. You know, Mom Mathma obviously is a big, a uh, big character that hasn't really gotten a ton of love nor respect in these series. You know, to think of the fact that she was essentially doing something very similar to what, what Amidala was doing. Um, you know, when Padme was working as a senator and also trying to sort of you know fight the fight the good fight, and then obviously her fa uh um uh, Bail right Bail Organa was doing that inside the Senate. Mon Mothma was you know playing both sides and and trying to keep herself alive and and trying to fund this thing and trying to you know turn the tide both politically and also uh you know actually trying to get the rebellion going. So I'm looking forward to more from her yeah. too. Yeah, I was surprised we didn't see Bail Organa show up at some point in this show, and we might you know? still, we might still. But then, you know, he just had his his turn in
3: in Obi Wan Kenobi, so maybe not necessary. Or well, and this is also five years before A New Hope, so he. Oh, and I guess he'd be older, right? By this time.
4: Yeah, this is I think you know another five years after Kenobi, right? So he's he's there uh, unless he's back on Alderaan, which. But I mean, he's still a senator. Yeah, the only uh yeah, only quote sure. that I flagged from this one was um, when we see uh Luthan is introducing or about to introduce Cassian to Val, who's the the leader of this little ragtag band that's gonna pull off this heist. And uh they're talking about, you know, him joining this mission and she's not for it. And uh She sort of says, you know, uh, I'm not risking my people for this guy. And she says, well, he says, that's the advantage of renting him. He's disposable, which is like, it's a really different perspective from what we've sort of traditionally. And I think we saw as part of the taste of Rogue One, which was very different from traditional Star Wars. It's not like the good guys versus the bad guys. There's a lot of shades of gray in the rebellion, right? Where he's like, yeah, I mean, I'm paying this guy and, you know. I, you know, I think he's going to help you, but if he dies, I'll skin off my nose. Yeah. Next week, pew pew pew, pew pew pew. I'm yeah. sure yeah, there I'm has pew, to pew, be,
2: uh, unless they're really going to slow burn it and they don't actually get to the garrison by next episode.
4: Oh man, is this like Game of Thrones? Is there going to be a lot of walking or what? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, next week, you know, it's going to they're going to get in there. Something is going to go wrong. I mean, they've already set up this impossible, uh, impossible. Um, task of leaving you know right during the the solar or equinox or whatever mm-hmm. it is you know this famous event that only happens once every three years or so yeah. yeah it's it's an interesting how that in fiction they they have these sort of mad timing plans where you know it's going to be this once in a lifetime opportunity to run in there and you know do this sort of so oceans 11 kind of yeah. heist yeah. right but i
4: love you know i love i love a heist movie and if it's done right, I, I'm excited at a, a Star Wars heist. You know, I, I I like I like those I like the we have to think of all the details, we have to plan it all out, and of course something goes wrong. I I, I like those kinds of stories that sort of oh, but they had it all planned out. Oh, now it's going right. You know, like I, I I always I always got a kick out of those kinds of movies and TV shows, and and I'm sure they're going to do a good job. Yeah,
3: and then you bring somebody like like and Endor, who has had no prep. Yeah. Whatsoever. Other than, other than doing his homework, right? But No, no, he's doing his homework. He's fine. Yeah, it's all good. All good. All right. Let's move on to the House of Dragons. Yeah, House of the Dragons, Season 1, Episode 6, The Princess
4: and the Queen. So this one is mm-hmm. is worth flagging because it's a big shift and we talked about it on last week's episode but you know my my elevator pitch was 10 years after we last saw them the cold war between Rhaenyra and Allison continues with the conflict growing to include their children so it is the biggest time jump. We've been jumping forward each episode by small bits, you know, a year, 3 years, 6 months. This is a massive one. We change the actors who are playing the two main roles, and we get introduced to a, a really a brand new status quo, which is there are now three children between King Viserys and Queen Alicent. We get Aegon, who is the eldest, Aemond the second, and then uh, Helena is the, their daughter, and then now. Rhaenyra, who, you know, was, I don't want to have kids and and was, you know, being forced to marry uh, Leonor, who's, of course, gay. Uh, she now has three kids. We start this episode with a very sort of harrowing scene of her delivering her, her third child. Um, but she's got these kids, uh, J- Lucerus Lucaris, and Joffrey now. Um, so it's Jace, Luke, and Joffrey are the three kids. And, uh, you know, the episode basically starts with her delivering it and then being summoned to go see the queen. And you're sort of thinking, well, this is this is brutal. Like, I mean, what's going on here? She just had a baby and now she's got to take her baby to present it to the queen. Like what's happening? And of course, the the core of this is that she's now had three consecutive children who do not look like the stereotypical Targaryens. They have dark features, dark hair. and Uh, bear a striking resemblance to the uh, Captain of the City Watch, uh, Harwin Strong, who's the son of the Hand. And um, so, of course, you know, this just brings us right back to where we left off, which is Alicent is basically... Taking what she considers to be the moral high ground of you know, Rhaenyra is is flouting her responsibilities as princess. She's clearly uh, you know not producing the heirs she's supposed to. She's clearly you know sleeping with someone who isn't her husband. How dare she! And everything else. And then you know it, it, we see the trickle down of that is that you know there's this this hatred not just between. Uh, Alicent, uh, and more Allison to Rhaenyra than than vice versa, but then also from there, their their kids seem to get along, but then she's also kind of poisoning the kids against each other, and it, it just is this really nasty
3: cold war that's going on between the, the two parts of the same family. And the one kid, you know, obviously has been told you're a bastard because, you know, the, the kid that's in, in line for the throne, right? So somebody's obviously, you know, feeding him or feeding his friends, you know, some some lies because he, she he confronts his mother at one point. Right? Yeah,
4: Jace is so theoretically. Rhaenyra is the heir to the throne after Viserys dies. He's proclaimed this. The people have thrown have shown uh Benthamie and and pledged fealty to her. After her passing, Jace, her son, Viserys, uh, would be the next king, and none of of Alicent's children would be. Having a fair claim, except for the fact that there's this lingering sexism of, even though all these people bent the knee, even though Viserys named her the heir, that everyone expects that when Viserys dies, that no one will actually honor that and and bend the knee to a woman because there hasn't been a woman who's been the, the queen of the Seven Kingdoms.
2: Right, and, and my Easter egg was that Baratheon kids are all raven-haired. This was a major plot point for Game of Thrones, and uh, continues here in what I'm going to consider an Easter egg. Like, if you were paying attention to that in Game of Thrones, you would have noticed it kind of funny that all of her kids were, were raven-haired, and very much unlike uh, the supposed father of Laenor.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and and, and it, it it's basically the same. You know, there's no book like uh, we saw Eddard Stark find in, in season one of Game of, Game of Thrones, but you know, it doesn't take a, a a magician to figure out. Although it is a little bit flawed too. just because you have two blonde people does not mean they're going to guarantee to have a blonde child. Uh, you know, it's not the way genetics work. But I guess in this pseudo medieval world, the expectation is if you breed someone of Targaryen heritage with someone of Targaryen heritage that you get a blonde. Um, I, I was listening to a pod this week where they were talking about some of the book versus TV show dis- differences. And one of the ones I thought was really mm-hmm. interesting that they changed for the show is that in the book, fire and blood uh, Renice, who is um, Lenor's mom is a dragon rider and she's a Targaryen in the book. She has brown hair. Here they've given her blonde hair, so that you get that continuity of all Targaryens, of people of Targaryen blood are blonde. But mm. it makes more sense that there wouldn't they wouldn't all be blonde because you know that's not how it works, right?
3: But you know, well, and Viserys tells the story of, of the horse that yeah. uh, escaped and, and gets sired by another horse, and uh, even though it's it, you know it's the mismatch color of the horses, the, the foal comes out br- brown. You know, and of course, you know, Allison says, Well, how do you know? Did you see the actual horse sire? The yeah. Horse? Like, really know the knows?
4: implication is what? He should be sitting there at bedside watching Lenore have sex
3: with his daughter? Like, yikes. Yeah. 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 I, and it's kind of funny, though. You know, you think, you think, though. I mean, like, I always think about this, like, all you have to do is do it once, maybe twice. I, I mean, know. Can you not put your sexual preference aside and just, you know, make a baby? Yeah,
4: <laughs> and that obviously that's where you know it's it's a strange show, and and you know we we can digress a little bit to say you know they're they're definitely setting us up with you know to to dislike the Alicent point of view and to to favor the Nera point of view and, and sort of root for her side and not for the other. But there's a lot to dislike the, the thing that George R. R. Martin does and the thing that Game of Thrones does so well is give you complex characters like you you're absolutely right Tim like Rhaenyra should have found a way to both do her duty as the princess and and heir to the throne to have the kind of kids she want but she and again they don't I didn't think did a very good job of of showing it in this episode in some subtle ways, but they, they didn't do it very well. She's in love with Harwin Strong. It's not like they were just doing it on the side. Like, right. they yeah. had a multi-year yeah. relationship. Yeah. She was in love with him. He was in love with her. You know, when you see him, that the one scene you really kind of see it uh, is when she hands the baby to him and he's beaming. Like, he loves those kids. Those are his kids. Right. He knows yeah. they're his yeah. kids. Yep. Like, it's not... And, and And that's fine. And he's fine with... Lenore and and like, but it, they don't give you enough time to see the connection between Harwin and Rhaenyra to know that they're not just, it's not like she's being improper and being like, well, I, I sleep with this guy on the side. He's just my piece of, of butt. You know, it, it's the fact that they were genuinely in love with one another. And so... Right, you are kind of getting sold a little bit of you know, yeah. Rhaenyra is not doing things the way that she probably could do them to be a lot more discreet, a lot more, you know, to to really shore up her thing because all she's doing is ticking off Alicent, and Alicent's going to make her life a living
3: hell. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that the interesting thing at the end was the sort of worm tongue guy that that been advising Alicent all along. Yeah. Right? Um, to the guy with the lame yeah. leg, right? Larys. Uh, and, and who is he? That's like, Larys
4: Strong. That's Larris? Harwin's no, little no. brother, and uh, he's so he's the hands son as well, and he's Harwin's brother. So, why is he poisoning the queen again, or the queen against his he's brother? He's essentially the little finger of this series. He is looking for an up path to power for himself, to the point where at the end of this episode, and spoilers again for what it's worth, but. Uh, you know, he recruits all these criminals down in the dungeons. His job at King's Landing is he's basically the the royal torturer. He's the guy who basically decides, like, what the torture is going to be for people to, uh, to pay for their crimes. He basically says to these guys, I'll let you live. I'm going to cut out your tongues. You're going to work for me. You're going to go for a long walk over to Heron Hall where my dad is, uh, that's his seat of power, and you're going to kill my family for me. And that's what happens. Um, all, all in basically a pretty brazen power grab. So he's now yeah. he's now the lord of Harrenhal, which gives him a huge boost in his ability to support uh, Alicent and and the prospective claims of uh, of her son Aeg- Aegon the Second to be the king. Once Viserys dies, and looking at Viserys in this episode, talking about ten rough years. <laughs> He wasn't looking so hot. We were like, well, maybe he's dead at the end of the last episode. He looks like the Walking Dead now. He's not in good shape. He's missing an arm. His hair is falling out. He does not look good. So he doesn't have a lot of time in front of him, I don't
2: think. Yeah, that was my big question that, uh, you know, how much of King Viserys is left you, you talked about the ladies changing actors. Uh, Paddy Considine is no longer King Viserys. It is an actor change for the Crypt Keeper from HBO's Tales from the Crypt. Now, because <laughs> he looks, he looks so bad, so bad. Like he didn't die at the end of the last yeah. episode uh, when he had, you know, uh, fainted over, and he was not looking that far, uh, that far off. So, um. For my my big question in this
4: one, you know, obviously, when does the Cold War start to heat up? I think next episode. I think next episode, it starts to boil over. I think we're going to actually start to see uh, where this is going. It's it's starting to get a little more fiery based on the, the preview that they showed at the end of the episode. But the real question I had was, how does Kristen Cole still have a job? So, Sir Kristen... In, in the previous episode, 10 years ago, oh, yeah, yeah, Sir Kristen, yeah right yeah, in the yeah. middle of a royal wedding, snaps and beats a guy to death with his bare hands, caves his skull in and kills him, and then is about to kill himself. Somehow, not only is he not fired or put well, the queen stops him, death, of mm-hmm. course, he's gonna kill queen himself, stop. she stops him, so clearly she's protected him, but like. In what world would he get off on 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 not getting punished for this? Well, she—I think she's made him her guard. She now, has right? clearly, Queen? yeah, and and then yeah. flipping from that, not only does he continue as now the queen's uh, member of the of the 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 queen's guard, but he's also mm-hmm. responsible for training the next generation. And in the yard. He's like tossing around the heir to the throne. Like he's he's clearly got yeah. a bias towards uh, to, towards the one set of kids and against the other one. But he, at one point he grabs Jace and sort of flings him around. That's the heir to the throne like that's the next in line after yeah. Riniera. like in what world would that be okay <laughs> like i i just am baffled by the logic of this like how does he still have his job how do they not fire him and in the meantime how does he end up in a position where he can be that
3: too like it's yeah well isn't the, the the head of the guard the um- the boyfriend does he he goes and kicks his ass. Well, that's it. So at them. one
4: point he's, he's he's making the insinuations that he knows the true parentage of Jace and Luke and and Joff, and he basically yeah. says, you know, you seem to care about them like they're your own sons. And of course Harwin Strong, who's his nickname is Breakbones, like he's the toughest dude in the in the Seven Kingdoms. He basically throws him to the ground and just starts beating the crap out of him. But of course that's the worst case scenario because now everyone's like, well. Maybe that's true if he reacted like that. But for, for throwing Kristen to the ground and punching him in the face a few times, he gets fired as the Lord Commander of the City Watch. If he gets fired for that, and that's just like in a fight in the in the schoolyard, how the hell does Kristen get to keep his job for beating somebody's face inside out at the royal freaking engagement party?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I took it as protection by the Queen, and if anybody questions... Uh, Viserys placates his wife quite a bit, right? He's he's oh, a yeah, placator, sure, but so uh, that as soon as Viserys is gone, I feel like uh, the queen will not be able to protect him as as easily. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just it's just
4: it's one of those ones where you're like you're trying to sort of suspend disbelief at everything, but it just makes no there's no logical path to that one. So the other little storyline that we got off to the side of this one was the the Damon and Lena storyline. So Damon obviously, you know, he keeps showing up at King's Landing and trying to marry his niece. And so far he's 0 for two. Mm. And in this one, we see that he's down in Pentos, which of course we see Pentos in, in Game of Thrones, and he has married Lena, who is Lenor's brother, or sister rather, and they have got two. Little girls and another one on the way, and they are all dragon riders. Oh, sorry, he and his wife and one of their daughters are dragon riders, and the other one is very, very sadly holding her dragon egg up to the fire, going, "Please hatch, please hatch, please hatch, please hatch." Um, yeah. But of course, that storyline sort of plays out, and we see that he's still, you know, enwrapped in being a, a Valerian and what it means, and and a Targaryen, and and he. Unfortunately, his his wife uh, Elena goes into labor. It's a complicated birth. She can't get birth, and she commits suicide by dragon, which is pretty spectacular as far as Pew Pew, Pew goes. Um She she basically has herself cooked by the biggest, nastiest, baddest dragon in in the kingdom. Decide you know finally, grudgingly decides to torture at her at her request. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, that storyline is kind of interesting too, because now for the second time in two episodes, Damon's a single man again. So (laughs) we'll see what comes next. Um, and I wanted to flag. So the, the actor who played Aegon II, who, uh, famously was, um, naked in the window, uh, pleasuring himself. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's Ty Tennant. That's David Tennant's son. Oh, yeah, really? hmm. so we're getting a little little next level on that. I didn't recognize him from behind. Yeah, exactly. And and for my Easter egg, I had to flag. That's the same window that uh, that Tom and Baratheon tosses himself out of in Game of Thrones too. <laughs> so uh, one person tosses, one person tosses off. It's a whole, you know. Yeah, <laughs> good one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's I like this show. It's. Uh, the time jumping has been a little confusing. I, I read online this week that they're not going to do massive like ch- jumps again. This is sort of now going to sort of continue in a more slightly more coherent fashion. You know, like weeks, not years. But um, but it's it's definitely doing what Game of Thrones did in the first place in a lot of ways. Not perfectly, but in a lot of ways, it's giving us very complicated people who are deeply flawed. Just like all the characters were on Game of Thrones, right? Nobody's an angel. Everybody's got problems. Everybody makes mistakes. It, It's—I I, think—it's one of the things that makes Game of Thrones and—and and by proxy, House of the Dragon the most, one of the most compelling shows on TV. Yeah, I, I agree. Moving on. Yep. Rings. Lord of the Rings. The Rings of Power. Uh, episode five. So we're we're over the hump here. Uh, Partings is the name of this week's episode. Uh, all sides are marching and/or sailing towards battle in the Southlands, while Elrond finally learns why the Elves need the Mithril from the Dwarves.
2: Thoughts, impressions, also light on the pew pew pews. Uh, my my elevator. Well, so my elevator pitch and my best pew 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 are related to Isildur's very bad day where (laughs) (laughs) he ends up destroying the boat (laughs) or or maybe the other guy does. It's a little unclear who you want to blame there. Um, That was, that was not the best move as he tried to stow away there. Yeah. I I don't, I don't, I don't know how to, how to describe that given the, you know, where this character is going to go. I'm like, wow, he's starting from some kind of kind of humble beginnings as a, as a character. Yeah. Yep.
4: But then, you know, we know, what his destiny is right and we know how deeply flawed he is and and shows his sort of true colors in the future too so
2: it it kind of adds up when you when you step away from it too right yeah yeah it makes sense with where where it's gonna go um i feel like your your description was pretty good because it, it, i am challenged to to give like a quick recap of what's going on in these uh these rings Episodes because there's just like a lot going on at once, right? You've got well, it's it really is converging storylines. It's more like old Game of Thrones
4: in that we're getting stories that are seemingly quite disparate that are coming together, but in this case, they're coming together quicker than I think Thrones obviously did, especially in the beginning. But, you know, you've got this one story that's way out in Numenor. You've got the story that's happening in one part of the Southlands. You've got the stuff that's happening, you know, with the dwarves. Like, all of this stuff is sort of intertwined, but you're not quite sure, you know, how it's going to come together. And it really was this week where I finally felt like, oh, it's kind of all heading... Because I wasn't sure how long it was going to take to get off Numenor. But as they're all setting sail for the Southlands with um you know uh, the army in 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 tow, it seems like you know uh, Halbrand is you know wearing his sort of regal looking outfit and and they're gonna go and and help the Southlands as we now know that they're just about to attack you know quote uh, the the watchtower you know not helms deep or whatever you want to call it um yeah it clearly seems like all these storylines are starting to converge on before door as, as, uh, as the, the beautiful, talented people at, uh, at, um, the Ringerverse podcast have dubbed it before door, um, where, you know, we know in the, in the Southlands, that's where Mordor will eventually, uh, be built and, and, and exist. So yeah, all these stories are finally coming together and hopefully we'll start to get, uh, a lot more sort of action over the next couple of episodes, uh, and, and sort of get a little more. Again, we talked about it last week. They've been trying to sort of throw you these sort of options for, you know, oh, is one of these people Sauron? Is one of these people Sauron? Are we going to get, you know, actually meet the character? Who is the stranger who fell from the sky? Who is uh, Hal Brand? Who is um, Adar? You know, all these things have sort of started to converge a little bit. And I feel like, you know, maybe next week we might actually start to get some answers on all these things. And it's short season, too. This is episode five. There's only eight episodes for the entire run, right?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, along the lines of what you were saying there about this, so my, my quote and my sort of joking big question are related. So my quote was that old man saying, I pledge myself to Sauron in front of uh,
3: <laughs> Adar. Was Adar, like,
2: yeah. Adar was like, not happy about that, at least given the way he reacts to it. And at this point, it's like maybe nori is actually sorrow because there's so many candidates yeah. <laughs> it might as well be her yeah. it's like the uh, kaiser soze kind of twist yeah
4: yeah and that's it maybe he'll come out of left field i i still i'm putting my money still on on halbrand just i think they've they've done such a good job of of sort of setting him up but again that could be all red herring it could be just coincidence or whatever but it really does seem to be pointing in that direction
2: yeah, I mean, he is the guy who can forge stuff. And for a show called Rings of Power, I don't think we have seen a Ring of Power yet.
4: No, and then, you know, it's funny because the thing that came up this week was obviously the Mithril story, which was really interesting because that's not part of the, the sort of mythos. They kind of went away from, you know, and and some of the other stuff to sort of create this idea of... The the Mithril being part evil, part good in the ground, you know, and that that the elves think it can sort of help prolong their their lives, the the light, and um, but then you know, because the whole time has always been like, why would the elves go along with Sauron and take the Rings of Power? Why, like, how how is it possible that he could pull one over on the elves of all races? You know, the dwarves. Obviously they're noble creatures but they're also greedy human beings the same thing right they they thirst for power uh, you know what was going to tip it for these these sort of beings of light when how could they get so how could they have the wool pulled over their eyes they seem so omniscient and the only thing that comes to to make sense is well he's going to have a solution to their we're we're our light is fading problem right here i'll give you these rings you guys will be fine right 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 yeah. I'm, I'm surprised how much I'm liking this series. I gotta be honest. I, this, you know, I know for a lot of people, it was like, well, house of the dragon and Lord of the Rings are going to come at the same time. It's kind of, you know, stepping on each other's turf. They're so different. First of all. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, I can't say I love everything about the Lord of the Rings series, but man, it's fantastic to look at. They're, they're telling a big story you know, it's amazing how quickly you get kind of sucked back in. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, As I had mentioned previously, it's, it's very, you know, 10 commandments, biblical kind of feel to it. So if you're wanting something a little bit more, uh, uh, mainstream pop culture, I think house of the dragons is probably going to be a better fit. But if you're looking for something, uh, epic high fantasy, you're probably going to need to look at rings
3: of power.
4: Yeah,
2: no, that's a great point.
3: It's all good. It's all confusing, but it's all good. (laughs) All right, let's move on to our watch list and i am here first. Mine is a trailer
2: for a new Hellraiser movie October 7th on Hulu. And, um, you know, I probably would have overlooked this before had I not seen the good results with Hulu having uh, the Prey uh, Predator movie. So I, I'm more excited for this one than I would have been uh, a few weeks ago. Did you
3: guys see the trailer? Yeah, so I. I didn't see the trailer, and I, I've never actually seen the movie Hellraiser either. But I do know the character, the the sort of dude with all the pins in his head. And I noticed that in the the image that's associated with this um, trailer is is a, it's a woman, but so who's the pinhead dude? He's basically like a like a, a a torturer kind of guy.
2: It's it's been a minute for Hellraiser. I'm kind of going to mess up the lore, but it's essentially like this puzzle box. When you solve it, you open the portal to hell, and therefore you must be punished. Uh, as as hell demons are, are want to do, and and pinhead, uh, the the one that people have definitely seen at least like the character. If you're never actually seen the movie, uh, the the design changes for this one are a little interesting. Of like, so you mentioned the, the 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 male to what I think is presenting female in this one, and the pinhead in the sort of older movies was more uh, leather based for the outfit, and this one was kind of more biomechanical is a an interesting update to the look
4: hmm. yeah interesting are you are you a fan of the previous uh iterations of this are you, are you i i mean we really haven't gotten into the horror of it all very much in the on our in our talks
2: yeah there are i don't know how many there are there's at least two possibly three and there could very well be more um just like there's, Yeah, uh, yet I had another I'm I'm feeling it's more than that yeah Yet another, uh, Halloween movie that my mother said, like, it's, it's, they're calling at the end. I'm like, mom, as long as, uh, as, uh, uh, not Jodie Foster, um, uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is still alive. And given what we talked about in this episode, maybe even after she dies, they will continue to have a Halloween movie. <laughs> so, right, like, it yeah. was, uh, it was the final Halloween one like 20 yeah. years ago. <laughs> um, so, um. Uh, th- there's at least like three from the main line, I think, of Hellraiser. I think the first two are more loved and there could be, you know, direct-to-DVD like Hellraiser 20 or something for all yeah, I
4: Yeah, I just looked it up. It's it's four theatrical films and
2: six straight-to-video films. Wow, well, there you go. They went the, oh, right. uh, the Land Before Time kind of route. Yeah. It's an animated series about uh, cartoon dinosaurs, if uh, no,
3: don't I don't remember it.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are like no joke, close to twenty of those, I think. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. They, they I think there was only one or two in the theaters and then they just had so much success with that direct to D V D, direct to VHS kind of
3: thing. <laughs> well mine mine's an interesting was a bit of a surprise, but before I get into and I'm gonna talk about War of the Worlds, but before and I, I just wanna point out that Ty Tennant is one of the stars of that show. He's a main oh. character in, in the series. Um but I just I just saw a note here on I and I just want to throw it at you guys. House of the Dragon theory: Jaserus is really Sir Christian Cole's son. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Timing doesn't work, but yes, it's good. It's good theory. How did, how, oh yeah,
3: because he's, he's, too, he's young. too young. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. right. Because he, he would have to be an older yep. kid. um Is that true? Yeah. No, because I mean the tie tenant character is older. He's the oldest of the of the four boys, right? Yep. Or five boys now, I guess. Yep
4: but i think jace is supposed to be like 8 or something and, and the math doesn't add up we we know we know from the historic record that is uh, fire and blood that that those three kids are Harwin's strong sons
3: yeah so i i told you about this show um war of the worlds it's a bbc sort of it's not bbc but it's a, it's a british show with french and british actors and, and so some of the french scientists speak in french on the show and you know with english subtitles and um and it's, it, it's, it's, Gabriel Byrne plays one of the main characters. And I think I told you that, you know, usually in, in British series, they do two seasons and that's kind of it. And, and at the end of season two, the, the story that had been building up for the last couple of years, I mean, these aliens come, they have these robot dogs, like, you know, the, the, the uh, Boston, uh, Boston Dynamics, is that what it is? Oh yeah, yeah, the, the weird um, dogs, dogs. You know, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they've turned those into like, you know, really menacing, you know, killing lots of people. And and in, in the War of the Worlds uh, show, you know, everywhere you go, there's like dead bodies everywhere. There's like this massive, you know, uh, the aliens have done something that, that immediately some sort of virus or whatever. And so the survivors are the ones who are trying to get away from these aliens. This is the first two seasons of the show. And... They discover in without giving too many spoilers away, because I still think you guys should watch this show. It's really good um is there's a time travel element, right, and so the aliens have use, are using a time travel kind of technology and so the main character at the end of season two goes back in time and kills the sort of the, the seed of this whole thing, like the 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 mother who begets all these these uh, baddies, right. And I thought that was it. That was the show was over, you know, great series, I really liked it, really well told, really well written and all that kind of stuff, very spent, suspenseful. Block, I mean, not told in the same I mean the Genesis is the World of the World story by H. G. Wells, but not but told in a completely different way, right? Um, you never really do find out what the what the source of the, the aliens are or what they're actually here to do, right? But but this the season two finale wrapped up the story, right? Well, it turns out that it didn't because you, we we start to meet some of the characters who are because we're now in the past, and that you're meeting some of the characters who've um, who go on to be key key players in the future who are suddenly remembering things that they shouldn't be remembering. Hmm. Right? It's kind of like somebody's gone back and reset the timeline, but somehow you know there's a leak in the timeline or something like that because. These people, like, you know, there's one who's, like, works for the government as, like, a sort of CIA, FBI kind of MI6 person. She was, like, the leader of of the group in the first two series, and she's now, she's starting to remember things. And there's other, and they keep running into each other and going, hey, I know you kind of thing, like, because they work together in the future kind of thing. So it's kind of a weird, weird take. It's, and again, like I said, I missed the, the, uh, the beginning of it. Just the third episode just came out yesterday um but i I went back on you know on the crave app or or i forget what it was crave or or cbc gem i think and i went back and watched the first two episodes to sort of catch up right so it's really good i mean it's it's not as it's not like walking dead it's kind of walking dead in terms of like we got to survive this thing we got to get through it the timing wasn't great because it came out during the beginning of the pandemic right you know and there's a strange illness that's taken out all these people so from that point of view it's kind of weird timing but but Really well acted and really well written. And um, like in this third, you know, three episodes in on season three, I'm still recommending the show as something you guys should watch. Right. Even though I've given you a major plot point, (laughs) but yeah, check it out. War of the Worlds. Cool. Uh,
4: My pick this week was something that I've been putting off, not intentionally, but just a busy summer, busy into the fall. Uh, Umbrella Academy had come back this summer on Netflix, I really enjoyed the first two seasons of that show. It's very unconventional, sort of superheroic genre stuff. Uh, it really is just at its core, it's about this family, and they're just, again, we talked about that for Game of Thrones and, and House of the Dragon, complex characters, deeply flawed same thing for this show. The characters all have some really big baggage and a lot of stuff they're dealing with. And, and it makes the show really compelling. There, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to work through. And it's really interesting. And so I finally sat down. Uh, my wife and I watch it together. That's why I had put it off for a while, too. Um, we watched that one together. And it's very rare that I can get her to watch a genre show. So I was very excited to get back at it. And... We're halfway through season 3 and it's great. It's so good. The you know there's always a, a little bit of a period of adjustment because they always kind of throw you these curveballs in the show of, of you know where are we? What's the crisis of this season and everything else. But it's uh it picks right back up. The characters are so likable and yet so deeply flawed and weird. Their dynamics with each other across the board are really interesting and and this season of course we had the the added wrinkle of The actor um, uh, uh, Elliot Page, uh, you know, transitioning from from being a woman into a man in real life, and how are they going to deal with that with uh, his character on the show, who up until now has been female, how are they going to deal with his transition there and it's really it's actually kind of beautiful i mean all people who are either coming out or transitioning or however they're identifying and making those you know big changes in their lives to their to to how they're known should have a kind of transition like we see in this show you know for a lot of the family it's oh well okay sure you know I, obviously that's not everyone's experience but it's it's handled very um, sweetly her, her transitioning to him is handled really sweetly in this show in a few different spots, but you know, people saying, you know, we're really glad you found who you are. And yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just, it's a really good show. And I, I'm looking forward to the next, uh, half of the season. They've already said they're going to do a fourth season of it. And the fourth is going to be the final season. So it is, you know, it'll be interesting to see how both this season wraps up and where it sort of sets itself up for, for the next one. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's continues to be quality. I, I think I know Tim. You had watched the the earlier seasons. I don't know Jaime if you've if you've been up with it as well. Yeah,
2: I'm up to speed through uh, through this season as well. Oh,
4: have you watched three already? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, it's I again. It's uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. How,
4: did you what, without spoiling it? Did you enjoy the season?
2: I did. It's um it, it's a it's a bit different than the other season. It feels like each season kind of has its own thing. Um, this one had a lot to do with, like, identity uh, in many mm-hmm. respects. You, you talked about the, the Elliot Page and uh, Vanya to Victor transition. But mm-hmm. there's also a lot of, uh, the you know, seeing what other people were like or seeing what, you know, alternate families were like because of the, the timey-wimey stuff that happens. Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting to see. Yeah.
4: Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting to see how they continue to get themselves into these really weird and complex areas that make them have to deal with their relationships with each other, their relationships with themselves, their relationship with their parents, you know, all these different things sort of come to play. It, it, as I say, it, it really makes for very interesting storytelling, very complex characters, which again, drives the investment because when they're put into Jeopardy, you're like, no, but I really like that character,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, exactly got a good setup for the fourth season as well so uh as nice. you mentioned they mentioned the the final final season but a good good setup for that as they they tend to do in the final episode of each season yeah they've been really consistent with that it's great
3: well i guess that's it for another week so hey jonathan if you want to get in touch with you where would they find you, you can always find me on twitter and instagram is at jpk news and how many if people can get in touch with you i'm on twitter as at dev of the hair and me, my name is Dimitra. T i m m i t r a on the Twitter machines, where you'll find me. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Get out of there, Matt. <laughs> what do yeah, Mac! What are you eating, Mac? Just stuck his head in my garbage can, which he never does. I think he's eating a like a um, wrapper from a muffin, which <laughs> he's been known to do. Idiot camel. All right, next time. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spockcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spockcast. last thing it appears that i have overstated so there are not nearly 20 of the land before time movies there are only he says in scare quotes only 14 but
3: they oh
2: they they go from land before time in uh 1988 which is the one i saw as a wee child through 2016 is when they stopped and there was a good period there where there was like every year or two they had another one so it just felt like 20, but it was only 14. Yeah, I I remember watching those. I used to babysit my
4: um, my cousins, my, my first cousins, when they were younger. And I remember watching a number of them, and I remember thinking, like, gosh, it seems like there's a lot of these movies then, and there was probably only, like, four or five of them then.
3: I cannot believe that there's that many now. Yeah. Triceratops in that one. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah's uh, in there. Yeah. That's one of the first movies I slept through. <laughs> Did you take Sarah? Yeah. I, I remember being woken up at the end of it she's like, "Come on, it's over, let's go." <laughs> yeah, this
2: this era of animated films, I, I would guess that An American Tale with Fivel is probably of the same vintage. Uh, um, oh, yeah, where, yes. And has Under that the same, same kind of sky or sun moon or anything. dreamier, Some
4: sleepier kind of there. pace.
2: Right, exactly. There there are no cats in America, as they, <laughs> yeah. as they say in their, their allegory here. Yep. Yeah, it's funny
4: how... I mean, the same thing with the Hellraiser, you know? like It's, it's funny to think of these things that just sort of... Like, I'm sure I've seen Hellraiser 1, might have seen 2, but if you asked me to guess, I would never have come up with 10. That's a lot. But then I don't even... Yeah. I lost track a long time back on... Like, I haven't watched... I'm not i am not a huge horror buff. I, I certainly watched some when I was, you know, younger, but I couldn't tell you how many Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets and Halloweens, and I haven't seen any of those movies in ages, so
3: I don't even really know where we're at anymore on those ones. I, those are movies I don't think I've watched all the way through, either. Like, I think I've watched most of Halloween now, and, you know, I always thought that, that Donald Pleasance was slumming it in those movies.
4: Well, that was kind of the the <laughs> thing, right? He was sort of bringing the class level up. But again, I, like those ones, at least they're John yeah. Carpenter. Like John Carpenter is a good filmmaker. There's, there's some redeeming stuff to those movies, right? Some of these ones it's where, you know, they're just sort of churning it out and churning it out. You're like, eh. like I, I seem to recall at some point, Jason ends up in space. Uh, if I'm not
2: mistaken, you know, uh, yeah, that is Jason X. Uh, also with Lexa Doig, if I'm not mistaken. So I was...
3: Oh, there it is! Oh, there I'm pretty is. sure she's in that one. I've got to double check. Uh, again, uh, <laughs> you know, irrational Lexa Doig fan. Yeah, for those of you transporting at home, that was a Spock Yeah. Check your bingo card for Jaime mentions his love for Lexa Doig. Yeah, yeah. It's from the Andromeda
2: series is how I came to learn of her when I was a teenager. So... Uh, she she came to mind as we were talking about the horror stuff, because I was like, how many Child's Play movies are there? Because she is in the TV series. So if you don't count 2019, because that's kind of like its own like reboot-ish, it's not a continuation, there are there are only seven Child's Play movies. So if you watch the seven Child's Play movies plus the the one season, then you will be ready for the TV show coming up in a week or two, I think. Season two of the TV show. Hmm. Are you planning on watching? Are you are you invested enough? I'm planning on watching. I think it is similar to uh, Cobra Kai, which I'm like in the early parts of season five for that as well, where uh, I kind of make my way through the the young adult stuff so I can see the actual adults. Right. So uh, just mm-hmm. like I want to see, mm-hmm. you know, uh, old man Daniel son and, and old man Johnny uh, fighting it out and then kind of get through the teen drama because like. They're, they're the pawns that they use. It's kind of the same thing here with the Chucky series where like, I really want to see Chucky and some of the people they bring back for that. And I kind of make my way through the teen drama part. Right. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not flawless, but it's still it's still um, surprisingly good. I wasn't sure how they were going to do a, a horror slasher film kind of thing on uh, on cable television here. It's like USA or something, I think, but uh, pretty mm. well done. Pretty, pretty satisfying. So, if you're a fan of of Child's Play, you'll probably like the the show. Hmm. Yeah, again, same boat. I think I I think
4: I saw the first two back when I was a teenager, and I don't think I've seen anything since.
3: Well, Max trying to convince me that it's time to take him outside. So, <laughs> okay, I think that, that. That's our signal. We wouldn't want to stand in the way of a man with a plan or a dog with a pee plan. That that yeah, whatever. Okay, folks, we'll talk to you later. Right, See you next week, talk guys. See you later.